If you are not careful and you let yourself be captured by the news and all the noise, it can confuse you into believing that there is more wrong in our society than right with it. That there are more selfish people than selfless people. Every day there are more people that you know, that you meet, that you pass by, who focus their efforts and energy into helping others, in service to others, to making their country, their community better. They are the teachers, the doctors, the nurses, the veterans, the police officers, and so many others. This is the Strength From Service Podcast. Welcome to another edition of Strength From Service, along with myself, Jake Palmer. Uh, Mike McLaughlin is with us, as always. Jack Zimmerman is with us, as always. Good day, gentlemen. How are you doing? Good doing day. real well. Doing real well. We have a very special guest on today's show. Very yeah, special. maybe the most special guest we've ever had. But uh, so his mom tells him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got the one and only uh, Mike McLaughlin here uh, on our podcast. One of our hosts of the show. Um, I'm excited to hear uh, your your uh, story of service and uh, where you found your strength from it. But I've I've known Mike now for. Almost 10 years now, I guess. It sounds crazy to say that, you know. Um, uh, We didn't know each other till after our military experiences were both over. But uh, when I moved back home, uh, I got got wounded, moved back. Uh, Mike was working blue collar at the time. And and, uh, I I didn't really know uh, Mike that well. But over the years, um, from different roles that you've taken, uh, from the veteran service officer, from Minnesota Assistance Council for Veterans, and especially the Veterans Court, um, and all these different veteran functions all across, uh, you know, uh, the, our area here. Uh, I've gotten to really get to know Mike on an extremely personal level, and and uh, our families, you know, spend time together, and and uh, it's uh, we've become pretty good friends over uh, the course of a few years, and I'm excited to um, share a story with you. Yeah. yeah. So welcome. Oh, I forgot. I forgot Marine Corps. Yeah, Marine Corps. I was like, Corps. yeah, you, you, Corps. you, you guys, So what we gleaned so far is you guys are really good friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we got that part down. Yeah. Uh, well, you know the drill, uh, Mike. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, you know, where you grew up, how that all, how it all started, how we ended up in the Marine Corps and so on and so forth. Yeah. So I am a Mankato boy uh, from birth to even current day. That's where I reside now. So grew up on the, the north end of uh, Mankato in the, the Turtle Lot neighborhood on North Broad. Uh, the home that I grew up in is now a parking lot next to our Savior's <laughs> church. So it's a little weird when I drive by the neighborhood with my kids and pointing out like, hey, that's where dad grew up. And they're like, man, why would grandma and grandpa raise you in a parking lot? Right, yeah. Things are really hard in the garbage business you know, back in the day. And feral. It's like, yeah, you know, garbage isn't worth that much. Um, <laughs> Mankato East, though, right? Yeah, yeah, Mankato East. Uh, went to Franklin on that north end of town. Uh, grew up, obviously, uh, Tom McLaughlin's my father, past guest on the show that, that told his his, his experiences in, in Vietnam and in the Marine Corps. Um, you know, family was literally in the garbage, garbage industry. My dad, my grandpa, my uncles, uh, and then mom worked a whole bunch of odd jobs that eventually settled on the IRS. <laughs> that, that bad three-letter word. Uh, but worked there forever. So uh, pretty, um, you know, American, you know, towny, blue collar, you know, type of uh, childhood. We had turtle lot on the north end of town there. So everybody had a had a swim pass, a season pass. So in the summer, about 10 o'clock in the morning, you'd see the whole neighborhood dump out into the streets and kind of empty to the north towards turtle lot. Uh, holiday gas station on the riverfront back then sold ammo and pellet guns and everything too. <laughs> so awesome. you go, yeah, you go buy BBs and 
you know, plank off uh, Tweety Birds in the neighborhood. Uh, good Council Hill uh, with the nuns and Loyola up there, too, was all wooded. Thompson Ravine wasn't uh, rip-rap like it was, so it was all, you know, wooded and uh, had an area where you go literally catch crawfish and get into trouble and do all the things that uh, kids do. You know, I hear people like Jack in smaller towns like Cleveland, Madison, like, oh, I said, yeah. boys in Madison Lake. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a fortunate period of time that Mankato was a regional hub, but still that neighborhood was kind of self-contained. And then on the very south side, uh, Mokel's Grocery Store there, where I grew up in a neighborhood where you could still put it on the family charge account when you showed up <laughs> there to get a loaf of bread and a pack of cigarettes for mom sure. or, you know, whatever else, too, and, and walk down the neighborhood. So a little bit of a... Could show up with a note. Yeah. And please sell Mike a pack of Pall Malls. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. I don't want to go down there today. Uh, I mean, they, they don't do that anymore. But you know, thirty, forty years ago, that was a still a pretty common thing where you'd go down to the the grocery store, get a loaf of bread and a gallon of milk, and put it on the family charge account, and family would settle up at the end of the month uh, for it too. So, pretty blessed on that side of it. Um, yeah, that's that's more or less. How well, I grew what up. was Mike McLaughlin like in school? Oh, probably pretty similar to my old man on that. You know, I was a C C student uh, or D at, at times. Um, never, you know, scored below, you know, contrary uh, to what I might sound like at times. <laughs> you know, average intelligence, uh, but I just never really had a whole lot of effort. I was more focused on uh, playing with my friends, running around the neighborhood, looking out the window and seeing what's outside. That was the nice thing about Franklin as it had. Uh, school windows and that opened up and you could look outside the whole time so i was that kid that always kind of got caught staring out the window you know? <laughs> um in lacrosse was your sport later on yeah later I, on. Well, when we were when we were kids my sister and, and me my mom uh, and my dad really kind of pushed just try anything you're interested in we'll let you try it the one condition is once you start it you got to finish the season through right. mm-hmm. well you like it or not you made the commitment to the team and the family made the commitment to you to financially support you for it, whether it's just you know, for one season or if it's 13 seasons. So uh, growing up in elementary school, I mean, it was basketball, football, baseball, soccer, wrestling, um, I don't know, swimming lessons, the whole whole thing, yeah. never competitive swimming on that side. But it kind of phased out into junior high and, and high school. Uh, it kind of phased down to just football uh, and basketball when I first got up to East. Uh, and then it phased out to just uh, football, uh, and I dropped actually baseball too because I found lacrosse where you can actually hit people. Mm-hmm. And that was a little bit more appealing to me at the time. Uh, probably not so good for my brain, but that's right. more appealing to me at the time. So, so after high school, then uh, were you out of high school when nine eleven happened? Nope, I was a senior in high school, uh, so I was a military aged male and could have enlisted at, at that time, but started to finish my my high school year and actually. Uh, so I graduated in 2002, so you know, obviously 2001 for 9-11. At that time still, too, they weren't doing GED waivers. You, know, you had to have a high school diploma. They were still pretty picky on it. Even after the initial uh, uh, towers collapse and the initial rush there in the fall of 2001, and a lot of people went into uh, enlist, they, were, they still had a lot of those pre-9-11 barriers. You know, you can't have... X amount of speeding tickets or an underage or all that. Give it, oh. a, give it a year. Yeah, well, yeah. pretty much all that stuff during the surge that's just like, nope. Right. I mean, yeah. you got two legs. You know, you're not on a registry somewhere. You can get in here. Get but, in, yeah. Uh, at that time, it was still a little bit more uh, stringent. Um, so, I mean, 9-11 happened. I it talked about it before, uh, I think, on our intro podcast. But 9-11 happened, and there was that push into Afghanistan originally uh, in 2002 early, and it seemed you know, like, the big fight, the big push, the Torah, Torah, you know, all that. 
and then it was kind of done. And then it was just seemed like kind of a three letter agency and special forces type thing there in 2002, 2003. Yeah, you kind of felt like the world was almost like, is it maybe we're not going to, you know, really occupy any ground or maybe Saddam's going to give up and we're going to find bin Laden in the next few weeks and this thing's going to be. Yeah, man. Well, and, and if you look at like the, what preceded that with the Gulf War, you know, it was that build up and then the action and then it was yeah. done and over Quick. with. Yeah. And if you, if you listen to, or you read books for other people that were uh, career military that were in prior nine 11 coming into nine 11 and after like they were, people were chomping at the bit to try to get over to Afghanistan. Cause they thought this thing was going to be over and you know, three months, kind of like the first Gulf war, not the longest war in us history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. So I had a had a couple buddies uh, that went in and talked to recruiters right away. Uh, one of them, and we've mentioned on this podcast before, Luke, but another yeah. friend of ours, uh, Jesse, too. Um, and contrary, whether he'll admit it or not, uh, I think Luke kind of had an affinity for the Marine Corps uh, before going in the Army. Um, and they kind of talked about it. We were friends before that about maybe going in. He'd been out of high school for a year when 9-11 happened, and when he wanted to enlist, I was like, yeah, man, I he wanted to go like, we graduated like June 4th and he wanted to go like June 30th. And I was like, you've had a year to kind of yeah, run the lakes, you know, party, do whatever. And that sounds pretty more appealing pretty awesome right, right now. now. Yeah. And plus there didn't seem like there was this, you know, national effort or this war going on. I guess it wasn't personalized yet because you didn't know anybody that was right. going. You were either in the military before 9-11 and those are the guys who were getting sent. Uh, and a lot of people that were around my age cohort uh, weren't in the military yet, weren't going over. So I, I declined. Uh, Jesse and uh, Luke ended up going, uh, two of my close friends, uh, into the Army right out of high school that summer of uh, 2002. Uh, I went to South Central. Actually, uh, <laughs> people, there's a lot of things people are like, well, it's probably your dad that talked to you going into the military. I was like, no, my, my, you know, my dad really didn't talk to me about my after school, high school plans. That was my mom. Uh, she, she, she sat me down my senior year and she said, you got three options, uh, full-time work, and you support yourself, full-time school, part-time job, going in the military. You pick one of those three, but you better have a plan. You know, you better figure it out. And if you're going to school and you're working part-time, you know, you can live in the house uh, while you're here going to school. If you choose to, while you're working, uh, if you're going to do the full-time work, if you, you know, want to stay in the home until you can get on your feet, that's, that's fine. And the military, obviously, they'll, they'll give you a new home. And so I was like, yeah, you know, I think I'll do the, the school uh, and part-time work. Sounds like fun. What did you think you were going to be? Uh, so at that time, there's this uh, little thing called a cell phone that was kind of blowing up at the time. Uh, <laughs> Heard of them. Yeah. And uh, Cell Central was pushing a big uh, Votech program on wireless communication. So oh. kind of like a wireless engineer sure. working on those towers. And he did some like basic repair stuff that, you know, now you can just watch YouTube for. But right. YouTube didn't exist, right. you know, in, in 2002. Uh, so I made the mistake of uh, one of my one of my smartest friends uh, was also going in that program. So I made the mistake of following him and becoming lab partners with him. And man, it's it's really hard to learn when somebody's so much more intelligent than you, <laughs> and they're your lab partner, because then they just do everything. Uh, and my buddy Steve uh, was my lab partner. I don't use his last name, but he ended up going in the military later after I went too. But you know, uh, me and a couple uh, local friends that I grew up with. Uh, Brandon, uh, that I grew up with on the north end of town, and another friend I met later, we moved into an apartment on the north end of uh, the pit, uh, Henniker Pond. <laughs> I graduated June. I think we signed the lease in July, and I think August 1st we were in that apartment. 
north end of the pit, literally the shore was our, our backyard. Uh, so pretty sweet place for a couple yeah. of 18, 19 year olds to be. And then that got out to all our college lab partners too, was that, Hey, you know, why the hell would we go to class when we can sit down and go party <laughs> at the pit essentially, right? <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and you have a nice swimming beach there and there's always, you know, other college kids there at that time, you know, uh, partying and doing whatever else during the day on a hot summer day. So it didn't do a whole lot of, uh, class, whole lot of education out of it was working, uh, as a night janitor, uh, too, uh, while I was going to school. Um, and you know, it did all, did all right. The first, uh, semester, second semester, uh, kind of that partying and not showing up to class. Surprise, surprise, kind of started catching off, up to you a little bit, got off to me a little bit. Uh, and that winter, uh, we made a trip, uh, down to, uh, Fort Riley, Kansas, uh, where the first uh, infantry division is. Uh, my friend Jesse and Luke had, at the, in the meantime, made it through basic training, made it through their AIT, their MOS school, and got stationed in Fort Riley. Did they go on a buddy program? Yeah. So that's why I got to stay together? Yep. Yeah. yeah. And at the, at, the, at the time, it meant nothing to me, but they went to Relax in Jackson. Right. Uh, Fort, yeah. yeah, Fort Jackson there. Uh, and then over to Manhattan, Kansas, where Fort Riley is, the home of the Big Red One. And so they were stationed, man, I think it was eight and a half, nine hours away. And literally, those are two guys that I spent most of my... Uh, formative high school and junior high years with so uh, you know we're real close uh and back then you know you didn't have really text or anything so it was always phone calls and chatting and luke got a apartment off uh post and uh jesse would come out there and crash sometime and so they said hey come on down whenever you want uh went down and stayed a couple days with those two uh luke and his wife uh in manhattan kansas and kind of got to uh, introduction into some of their army buddies and kind of figured out kind of like their lifestyle and it started moving the hamster wheel a little bit like for this sure this could bit, be awesome yeah a little bit of appealing again too and you know there was this stuff talking about iraq and this ultimatum that president bush was given at the time and you know you know whatever you want to say about the wmds and the reason we went but at that time you didn't know uh, and it was there's this other thing looming on the horizon um and i remember actually we still had cable that march before i think it got cut the next month because a couple of my roommates <laughs> didn't pay cable <laughs> For the record, I paid my portion, so you know I can I can sleep at night. Uh, but I remember coming home uh, from school and watching the initial invasion on CNN or you know Fox News or whatever it was at the time. Yeah, the shock and awe and all that. Yeah, yeah. Man. and it was like a real. It, this is you know no offense to people who did the, the invasion for Afghanistan. Um, you know it was like a real war, like. Guys were getting gunfights in the streets. There was the bridges and Afghanistan was yeah. pretty quiet. Yeah, I mean, yeah. in reality, I mean, when the things. I mean, there was a lot going on there, but <clears throat> everything that was going on really wasn't being sure. You know, that story wasn't really being told or or seen on camera like Iraq was. You know, you could see the the bombs going off at night, the fighter jets flying around, and very much. Well, and two, you think about it. You know, Afghanistan initially, um, you weren't. Fa- facing initially uh, a formal military like the Iraqi military. And then you had a lot of, you know, essentially, in, I don't want to call them insurgencies, but, you know, partner forces for the U.S., the Northern Alliance and stuff that we were partnering with to do a lot of the fighting up in the mountains on the initial push. In Iraq, it was, we crossed a line and it was, you know, yeah. full bore towards, you know, Baghdad. Those guys were fighting the whole way. I mean, I think uh, 101st or 82nd, uh, jumped in up north. Um, I think they got mustard wings up there, which means they got a combat jump yep. uh, into Iraq in 03, and they were fighting from the north down to the south. If Nazaria and, and then Jessica Lynch, that whole convoy, and we had POWs are being taken. Um, so there was, I mean, it was nonstop, you know, news. 
but it really exposed that we were at war. So that was, you know, late March, April, May uh, of 03. And then President Bush around that time, I think, did the mission complete, kind of like the war is over, which mm-hmm. <laughs> you talk about uh, a bad call. You know, I, I guess I wouldn't uh, take his advice on sports betting, <laughs> you know, on that one, because then things kind of started escalating and we started right. seeing the first redeployments over that summer of that initial wave coming home and then the Army and the Marine Corps and Navy and Air Force looking at, okay, who's going to replace these people because things aren't quiet yet. Right, created this giant void or vacuum over there yeah. of like, uh, we knocked off who's in charge, so who's in charge now? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that was, you know, I, I'm not going to get into it. I'm not a geopolitical, right. international affairs guy, but, you know, when we came in, we said anybody who has any military service above a major can no longer serve in the military. So we pretty much cut off all their people with experience mm-hmm. and just left this big leadership vacuum in the country. Uh, but anyways, um, that July of 03, uh, I remember doing my night janitor gig and I can't remember who called me first, but I got a, I got a call. It was either Jesse or Luke. And they're like, hey, man, they just canceled our orders to NTC, the National Training Center. We got orders to go to Iraq. We're, I mean, taking off in August. We're supposed to be there like September. We're not supposed to tell anybody, so don't tell anybody. It's half hour later. I get a call from the other one. Hey, <laughs> and I, you know, I, and I, 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 uh, I can say it, you know, very heartfelt. I love them both. You know, they're both like brothers to me. Um, you know, but I you know, just kind of took it in. Oh, yeah, man. Like, hey, that's, that's crazy. You know, be safe, be smart. We'll talk before then. And then I sat and did my night janitor thing for the next couple hours, just, you know, uh, machinating on that and thinking about that for a while. Like, these are two people that I grew up with. Kind FOMO of, kicking in. Yeah, when I'm about fear of missing out, like, um, you know, there's people that's in my cohort and my age that are now going down range to do whatever the nation had asked of them. Again, take take what we know now of the Iraq war out of it. Uh, but at that time, there's there's people stepping up and they're they're answering the call because it is definitely a call. It's not there's no draft. I mean, America relies on an all voluntary military force, and they're just there felt like this kind of hole uh, inside of me that just was getting bigger. Just thinking about my friends and people that I know about. Uh, going downrange and doing this while I sit here and, you know, party and, mm-hmm. you know, get ready to school and dick off and uh, hang out at the pit, you know. and Yeah, I mean, I had a lot of, the, <clears throat> a lot of the similar feeling, you know, of, of watching the war go on for so long, watching all these guys coming home. Uh, I just didn't want to be, you know, 30 years old like I am now and look back and be like, you know, I was going to join, you know, but, you know, X, Y, Z, I was having, I was doing this, I was doing that. And really, I thought of it like in the whole scope of things. You know, I had friends going to school for three years and then dropping out and never, ever end up getting a degree or anything like that. And I was like, well, if I go sign a three-year contract, at least I can, you know, make some money, fulfill my thing that I wanted to do, serve my country, you know, things like that. And, uh, you know, especially now looking back, it's like three years was really such a short amount of time, you know? Sure. Was that your initial contract was three years? Four years Four initially, years, but sure. after being medically retired and stuff, it ended up being a little over three years, yeah. Sure. Yeah, I didn't know because I know Army had a lot more uh, commonly offered three-year contracts. You could even get a two-year contract, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Marine Corps started doing that during the surge just to get people in. But but yeah, so anyways, it, uh, you know, I, I had that call, had that reflection, and again, on our intro show, I kind of, I guess, foreshadowed it. Went back to our apartment. 
Um, we had the three of us living there, but then we always had a guy or two on the couch, literally just a, a, a buddy that, you know, didn't have an apartment and was going to school with their parents that would mm-hmm. come party and pass out on the couch or the guy on the couch. And we had these, these coffee tables and this, you know, big giant ashtrays because everybody smoked cigarettes back then. Yeah. Everyone was charging down long darts. So big giant ashtrays are full of, you know, cigarette butts and there's cards and poker chips on the kitchen table, you know, probably old pizza boxes and then. Probably stuck to the table from <laughs> spilled mm-hmm. beer and drinks. Yeah. 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 And I, so I was like, just was passed out by the time I come home. Um, and, you know, literally we joke about it, but, you know, every bottle of hard liquor we ever had on the wall with every can of beer we ever had. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, bong on the table, that, that whole thing. Um, and I just kind of sat down on the one spot there, there wasn't a guy uh, and just <laughs> kind of sat and thought uh, to myself, like, you know, Jesse and Luke are going to war. And I'm going to sit here and party. Like, is is that that right with my morals or my value system or how I was raised? And again, this whole time, my parents weren't like, "Hey, you should join the military." Or they weren't even like when I was doing shit in school. They weren't like, you know, you need to straighten up and before or you're going to get you know go to the military. None of that. No pressure. It was you know just trying to figure in my own way. And so I I uh, slept on it, and then woke up, you know, crack of ten o'clock, eleven o'clock in the morning. Uh, kicked the guy on the couch, a buddy of mine, Steve, um, and went and asked both my roommates. I said, hey, uh, I think I'm going to go into the recruiter uh, and talk about enlisting. Uh, one of them said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll go with you. The guy on the couch was like, yeah, I'll come too. Other roommate declined. And I said, well, which one am I going to? And I said, oh, Marine Corps. Marine Corps Army is kind of my, my thing at the time. Marine Corps recruiter was in. Army wasn't, um, you know, I have an affinity obviously with with family because of the, the Marine Corps, but always respected uh, the army too, as well. Uh, Marine Corps was always going to be the first choice just on my upbringing. Right. Uh, that army would have been a second, but Marine Corps guy was there, uh, uh, before we walked in, uh, out of the parking lot, we were in my Jeep. I had a Jeep Cherokee and I, I turned around and looked at, uh, my buddy Brandon and my buddy Steve and was like, yeah, I think I'm going to enlist, um, in the Marine Corps and Brandon's, Brandon still came with me. Uh, and my buddy Steve's like, Oh no, I'll just hang out. <laughs> and, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll they be, still got that pretzels laying down there. In the <laughs> yeah, pretty what? much. Yeah. Shave my head and live with men. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Where do I sign? Yeah. 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 Asshole belly button. Yeah. It gets pretty close. Um, but so me, me and the, the one roommate walked in, uh, and sat down, uh, the recruiter, he did his op- opening salvo is, uh, uh, pitch staff sergeant layman uh, was his name he wasn't a east graduate like your recruiter tony yeah. brown uh but you know he did, did his pitch you guys ever do the asvab you know both <laughs> like yep and like i, I was like probably because i don't even remember you know it was one of those right. things you could get out of class to go do and then literally i think my reasoning for doing the asvab if you don't know what the asvab is it's the initial test aptitude test you have to take for the military to see what you're qualified to do job wise so I, I, I volunteered to take it in high school and i literally think my, my reasoning for it at the time was like, if I hurry up and power through this, I can sleep until the end of it and then I can get a nap. And so right. like, I pretty much went down like CC, 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 C, like right down the bubble <laughs> sheet. Uh, uh, but apparently C, uh, C does uh, do the job because I, I did good enough where he pulled both of it up and um, they look at your GT score out of your ASVAB for essentially what you're going to do. And one of us was like a 113 and one of us was like a 116. So he's pretty much, yeah, you guys can do whatever you want. Uh, for career-wise, and he started pitching these options. And I said, yeah, I think I want to go in the infantry. Uh, and guys just... <laughs> you don't have to, Mike. Yeah, and, yeah. 
my, my buddy's like, well, uh, uh, what, what else you got? You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> to see what you have. I, I think he was just act- take a look. If yeah. you want to take a look, yeah. I'm not saying I'm going to sign up for anything else. Look around for a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think he, I think he actually ended up settling on like a Amtrak, uh, operator or driver, you know, the, the amphibious, uh, vehicles is what yeah. he was kind of looking like, at. There's like, there's not much water in Iraq. I should be all right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, the stupid thing is we drove those things around in Iraq too, which were just RPG sponges. They oh, did not right. end up well. Uh, but, uh, so we didn't essentially sign anything. We didn't do maps. You know, they're like, Hey, you got to do uh, maps. And at that time there was still a big backlog from that whole wave that came in on nine 11. So the earliest they could get us in maps, I think was like September or something sure. of 2003. Uh, cause this is July of 03. And so in the meantime, you know, we left and, um, me and my, my buddy were like, Hey, we should tell our parents. We're both adults anyways, but uh, and his parents didn't have any military service and you know, grandfather had been in the military, but his, his dad or his mom had not served. And so we're going to float it out there. And then if his parents had any questions, you know, I think his dad might've called and talked to my dad a little bit too. But so I did the, the first call home to my dad later that afternoon. And I told him like, Hey, uh, I want to sell a recruiter today. Um, I'm cleared hot to do whatever I want, but I'm going to go in the infantry. And he was, he was quiet when I called. And he said, oh, well, I, you know, I, I, I think it's a, a good decision to serve. It's not a, a bad decision. But he said, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things you can do in the Marine Corps. You know, engineer, you know, he went through the mechanic, uh, that side of it, on the air wing side of it. And I said, yeah, no, Dad, I, I think I'm going to go uh, in the infantry. And, and then he got quiet again, too, and he goes, you know, you, you don't have to do infantry just because I did. Right. I said, yeah, I, I know that, Dad, because he literally, it was never a discussion with me when I was a military-age male, especially when the wars came on. It seemed like there was less of a uh, discussion about his service, like when that became really real, whether that was you know intentional or not with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he probably um, didn't want to inspire you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, going through what he went through uh, with his, his time in war in Vietnam. Uh, and, you know, he said, okay, well, I respect your decision, you know, you're going to have to call your mom. And my parents are married, but he's like, you're going to have to call her and yeah, tell her. And, and uh, I'm, I'm not taking that. I'm not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll go son. back to Vietnam before I tell your mom you're going to Iraq, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, so uh, I, I called, called my mom, uh, told her same bit. Uh, she was real, real quiet. And, you know, Jack's met my mom before. And if you're, if you ever if you sum somebody up in like a personality, uh, you know, call a spade a spade my mom you know she doesn't she doesn't hold her opinions necessarily to herself if, if she thinks somebody needs to hear something <laughs> right uh man i get some of that from her i don't know <laughs> uh, uh but so i called her and same thing she didn't t- she didn't try talking about the marine corps she didn't uh, well she didn't try talking me uh, out of enlisting she tried talking me out of the marine corps at first and she said well i mean you should go in the air force i mean they you know you know they'll treat you a lot better than the marine corps <laughs> I say, yeah, mom, I, I know they'll, they'll treat me a lot better. Uh, that's, that's not the point. I'm not going into good, good treatment. I got pretty sweet treatment right now as, as a, a <laughs> dead, stay home, yeah, man. deadbeat college kid, you know, I got a girlfriend back home. I got a sweet, you know, apartment on a lake and, you know, partying my ass off and studying slightly, uh, you know, <laughs> it's not too bad. <laughs> yeah, not, not too bad of a gig. When you, when you made that decision to go in and talk to the recruiter and you said, you know, I want to go infantry, was that kind of part of your part of your MO there? Was that kind of part of your process and your plan is like, I, if I'm going to go, I'm not going to sit at a desk with the air force. I want to go to Iraq. I want to go to Afghanistan. I want to get in it. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, at, at that age, you know, still being pretty naive of what war is and you know what it actually means to be a part of it. Uh, there was still some, I guess, uh, romanticism, some you know, idealistic view of being front line and, and being a grunt. I knew what a term grunt was. And, you know, I wasn't a grunt yet, uh, but there was there was still um, an aura of you know, you're, you're not special forces, but you're not a you know pancake flipper. You mm-hmm. know, in, in the military either. Uh, nothing against cooks in the military. I love my spoons. Um, Same. Yeah, uh, but. There was that kind of, you know, romanticism. And I, I'm a kid of the 80s, early 90s, all the action films, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Commando, Kickboxer, you know, uh, Lethal Weapon, all those times. And like, you know, uh, Riggs and uh, Lethal Weapon, Infantry in the Army, you know, Special Forces, that whole side of it. Commando, yeah. he was a ranger, you know, Infantry, Full Metal Jacket, even though the main character is a embedded uh, military reporter, he goes with an infantry unit yep. in Dewey City. You know, it's platoon. It's an infantry unit. Yeah, that's what uh, that's the, that's what everybody sees is what the infantry guys are yeah. doing. You know, it's it's. Uh, I was gonna same way. You know, I remember watching uh, YouTube videos of guys up on <clears throat> rooftops fighting and stuff like that, and I'm like, I want I want in on this. You know, I want <clears throat> that's who I want to be. You know, I want I want to go fight with these guys. You know, I mean. I can really relate when you say, you know, romanticizing about it. And, and I mean, it's, it sounds maybe to some people screwed up to think about that as as war. But, you know, you're looking at it as I get to do this on behalf of my country. I get to wear that flag on my shoulder every day. I can go fight. I have a, I mean, you hear it all the time, people fighting for purpose every day in their lives, you know. And, and uh, what more of a purpose could a guy want than going and defending his country? It's, it's very uh, primitive. People have been doing it for since man's been around, you know, we've been gathering groups of men and going and fighting other groups of men for whatever reason it may be, you know, but, um, yeah. Mating and warfare are kind of like the two constants and throughout mm-hmm. humanity, yeah. Yeah, you know, absolutely. We could figure out to do with, uh, what to do with one stick and we could figure out what to do with the spear. <laughs> like it's never stopped since. So. so when did you actually leave for, for basic training? And I mean, what do you guys call boot camp? I guess. In yeah, the it would have been boot camp. Um, it would have been, uh, that January of 04, because, again, by the time we got up to MEPS uh, in September um, and went through that uh, ordeal, uh, me and my, my uh, buddy, um, and then when you got cleared hot through there, yeah, I, I think it was like three months, so it would have been like the week after New Year's, we showed up at uh, San Diego. It, it's kind of a, a funny story, and I, not to... Not to you know, dig up old, old things, but it kind of, kind of shows, um, how even when you have a plan thinking like you're going to the military that, you know, you still have no control on it. And I think it was a really good learning lesson early before my military careers. Uh, I mean, obviously you went through maps, the, yep. uh, the medical examination you got to do for any of the armed services before you yep. take off. And they, they send everybody together, whether it's air force, army, Marine Corps, Navy, I don't know if yep. they, we're the all co- seeing the same doctors go up there. Yep. Do the same stations and they, uh, back then, I don't know for when they did it for you, Jack. They line you up alphabetically and they run you through each station. So I was a, I was a, a M, uh, and just the cast of characters you run into up there from people that have master's <laughs> degrees that were because I mean people are still very stoked, you know, to, to enlist at this time to post nine eleven. There's still a lot of patriotism and the state people with master's degrees. There's a guy that was a, a union uh, pipe fitter that you know had a family and I, I would say it was an old guy then, but was probably like 31, you know, looked like a grandpa that, 
you know, stopped doing his career and came to serve to. Yeah, you're like, hey, doc, no, I'm trying to get in too. Yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. And then, like, pe- people that look like they're, you know, right out of the episode of uh, the movie Dazed and Confused. Right. Yeah. Like they were, 14, you know, stone yeah. walking in there uh, before it too. So you go alphabetically. And my, the guy I was going on the, the buddy program with was uh, behind me alphabetically. I don't use a uh, full name, but so you go through the stations. I mean, you have the eye colorblind, you know, vision test. They do the blood draw. Uh, they do the, I don't know what you call it, but I'd say like the interrogation room. Like, is anything on this, you know, <laughs> false? And if it is, it's, you know, 30 years in prison and $50,000, you know, whatever they tell you yeah. on that side of it. Uh, and. Uh, so went went through uh, the stations, um, and uh, a buddy of mine uh, that was going with was behind me. And so every time I would come out of a station, I would see him going in. Uh, and one of the stations, the interrogation room, he went in, and I was going back to do the old doctor. Yeah. You, know, you know what the old doctor is, and for people that don't know about the military, it's probably one of the most uncomfortable things you have to do. They, they find some doctor out of reto- retirement that's literally – as old as Tyrannosaurus Rex dust, you know, like right. <laughs> that's in there. And it's just you and this old guy in a room. And it's like, all right, drop your drawers, you know, yeah. like cough test, check for hernia is that whole thing. Like grab your ankles, check for a tail. And it's like, yeah. all right. You're like, I'm over here. That's the lamp. Yeah. That's how old the doctor is. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. That's, you know, and you think about it. And I, I remember like, well, thing in my head is like, you know, to get in the military, I had to show some guy my butthole. <laughs> like, that's just the weirdest thing. But you're in, Mike. Yes. But you're yeah. in. Yeah. yeah. And that's across the board, no matter, you know, yeah, I, I think they still do it to this day, checking for tails, you know, because we don't want an amphibian or lizard uh, people in our Give you mi- that advantage on that two-mile run. In our military, yeah, yeah. Well, we found out that aliens are real now. That's so, right. Uh, maybe they've known all along. They're just checking. Yeah. Making sure. Yeah. Checking. Yeah. So, but I came out of that one, and I think the last one was like the duck walk, you know, or yeah, you know, all that. And that was a group of you. Uh, do that, and my, my guy wasn't behind me, and I was like, "Well, maybe he's you know somewhere else or whatever." And I did the duck walk, and at at that time, you would walk out of Meps, and you would walk out of like the the processing rooms. They had a, a reception room, and all the recruiters for all the service branches around the outside of this reception. Kind uh, of where you go find your sign your final contract. Yep. Yep. Did yep. you go to Sioux Falls or did you go to the cities? I went to cities, Minneapolis. Okay, I went to Sioux Falls. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so I've I've heard, and I'm not in the recruiting business that. Sioux Falls uh, is a little bit more expedient. You know, Minneapolis is a little bit uh, bigger, and you get bigger groups that come the, come through there. Than Sioux, Sioux Falls. Falls, I heard you could slide a few more things through Sioux yeah. Falls if you had a little stuff you had to. So if you get a low ASVAB <laughs> score, make sure you go to Sioux Falls. <laughs> if, if you're on the if you're on the fringe, uh, so when I, I I walked through, and so yeah, you're right. You you go sign your final contract, and they actually make you swear your oath yep. uh, then too yep. to the. United States and the Constitution. I'll never forget that day. That was a pretty wild. I mean, for me, that was a big day. You know, I mean, I kind of, kind of had a plan. Yeah, you know, I knew what I was going to be doing for the next few years. Yeah. Well, I mean, you knew, you knew you didn't have a choice. You knew uh, it was out of your control essentially once they did that. At least that's the way I felt. Like, hey, from here, it's just literally hold on for the ride and take what comes your way. Uh, But when I walked through, I mean, there's my guy uh, that I was supposed to go on the buddy program who was sitting out in the lobby. (laughs) I was like, how did you get in front of me? out here and i mean he was just ghost white uh and and again not to throw him under the bus but something came up during that you know if you, everything on here that you put on this contract if you leave one thing off we're gonna put you in federal prison the whole thing well he he squealed on himself or something that you know uh was wasn't on on there um and you know from from that point forward that was a, a mind shift for me because it was like 
The only people that I know that went in that are going to war went in on the buddy program. I was going on the buddy program. I just lost my buddy. Yeah. You know, so fuck it. I've, I've already got through this, this part. I'm about ready to go swear to the oath. There's no, no turning back now. There's no whole time out. I need a friend. I'm going to change my mind. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hold, hold on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I went and signed my contract. Went and sat, talked to my friend, tried to console him. Like, hey, man, you'll, you'll get through this, that whole side of it. Um, and then they called me in a group, and I went and swore in, you know, probably five or six of us in that room in front of the flag. I think they had a, a army uh, reservist that swore us in. Uh, recruiter came and picked us up. He was pretty happy with my situation and not pretty happy with my other guy. Uh, and from that point on, it was getting my head right. Like, okay, there's, there's nobody from home. It's just going to be me going, um, you know, get, get your head right to go. Uh, and then I figured what the hell, you know, I got my ship date for January. I'll be leaving Minnesota and going to Southern California. Uh, and, and right before, uh, we left another, uh, local, uh, kid found out through a family connection, got the same ship date, didn't know he was going through. And, and the Marine Corps, kind of like the army had like a pre, uh, basic training they call it a pulley program where they're like okay this is what the fitness standards are so these are your run times this is what you need to start gearing up for did some basic drill and marching and stuff so you had a little bit of an idea going in so then january the recruiter came and picked me up um about a week after new year's rolled up early in the, the morning got on a uh got to the uso in minneapolis there was two guys from chippewa falls wisconsin there and another guy from somewhere else in wisconsin uh, from Western Wisconsin, uh, introduced, uh, self to him, you know, got acquainted with them. Uh, two of them, uh, Mark and, um, Wade were both, uh, from Chippewa Falls and they were both going on in the infantry. And I was like, all right, there's a good chance I'll be with these guys for a while. So sat next to Wade on the plane, you know, picked his brain, got to know him a little bit. We got to San Diego, uh, which is where the Marine Corps recruit depot is, uh, for everything pretty much. Wisconsin and West for the Marine Corps, east of Wisconsin, you go to uh, Camp Lejeune or Paris Island, uh, South Carolina and Camp Lejeune most likely. Uh, so we went to MCRD uh, San Diego and it's literally on the other side of the fence, the international airports, <laughs> the Marine Corps recruit depot. Uh, so we get off, we sit in the USO and you just wait for a bus to show up that whole bit. I'm yep. sure they did it with you guys. So we're sitting in the, the uh, USO, uh, everyone's not talking much. People, scared to death. Yeah, people that smoke are outside smoking. I wasn't a smoker. Getting that, that last one in quick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was, I was uh, chewing at that time. Uh, something I picked up was sports and in college too. Uh, just kind of small talk, you know, just waiting essentially for the storm to start. And then I remember, you know, without any any intro, anything, nothing, just quietly, a, a Marine Corps drill instructor walks in the door in the you know khaki top, olive drab green, and the big smoky bear. I mean, just looks as big as a mountain and uh, respectfully, but sounds off, says everybody that's, you know, come to MCRD San Diego, Recruit Depot, get outside right now because there's women that volunteer in the USO. Yep. But as soon as those doors shut and we were outside and then they start barking at us to get in formation, to get ready to uh, call off your roster and get on the bus. You're mine now. (laughs) Oh, God. Every derogatory term that can come out right away. I mean, uh any inappropriate you know term swear word cuss word is like you know he starts talking about people's moms and girlfriends and you know sisters like how does he know all our moms and sisters are <laughs> wow he really researched us <laughs> yeah. wow yeah and so uh you get on the bus um and they make you stick your head head between your knees down after they do it and then they just drive around for an hour 
Yeah. Turn, I, the, turn the heat on full blast. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when they did that when we went down to Fort Benning. They would drive us around, and <clears throat> after we found out, like, where we were on post and everything, like, I remember one day we were PT, and we were, like, in basic training, just about done. And uh, I remember our drill sergeant's like, yeah, that's the gate you guys came in. It's right next to where we're living. We're like, what? And he's <laughs> like, yeah, it's the gate they bring everybody in. They just drive around post for an hour, so that way if you want to bail, yeah. you don't have the direct route out of here. We can find you before you hit the fence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, uh, I mean, in, in literally the first night you sleep in receiving, uh you, you realize, like, you stare out your window and you watch the planes take off literally just on their side of the fence, which it's kind of a mind, uh, mind screw with you a little bit, too, because you know everybody on those planes are going home or on to vacation. Right. And you're sitting there. But so, anyways, they drive around for an hour. Uh, I'll be here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> drive around for an hour, blast the heat on you, you know, just to screw with you. And then they park. Uh, the Marine Corps, I don't think the, the Army is as notorious for it, but the Marine Corps is pretty famous for the yellow footprints. Mm-hmm. They, they have them uh, at. Paris Island and MCRD, uh, to you get out on those yellow footprints and that's the first actual step in your Marine Corps recruit, uh, training, uh, Marine Corps, whether you go into infantry or supply or tanks or, uh, aircraft or, or whatever, um, you all do the same basic training. They don't split it like army where you go to Fort Jackson, Fort Benning, Fort Knox, yep. uh, uh, Fort Sill. Yep. Fort Sill. Um, um, a lot of guys, you know, like if, if you go in the infantry, you go to Fort Benning, you go to Sand Hill. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's where you do your basic training, you know? And, and, but pretty much, you know, some guys go to Fort Knox, you know, some guys go there too for basic training. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, ours is definitely a lot different. You know, like my whole basic training was <clears throat> formed around the infantry, you know, everything we did had a, a hint of infantry, you know, put into it, you know, where, uh, I know a lot of people that just go to basic training for non-infantry is just basic fundamentals and sure. stuff like that. You know? Yeah, up in Leonard Wood and Jackson and all that. Too. Right. But uh, so no matter no matter what you are in the Marine Corps, I think that's that's one thing that kind of parses, parses us out from other service branches is everybody does the same 13-week uh, basic training. Um, it's it's cut down into three phases. First phase is essentially a month, and it's just a haze fest. Yeah. Um, you know, every phase, I think it's about four weeks. That 13th week is usually receiving company when you get there, which is where you check on the yellow footprints. Uh, second phase is kind of your advanced war or advanced warfare, initial warfare, infantry kind of basic training for everybody. And then your third phase is kind of like the polish. You come back down to the MCRD, um, and then go off to your MOS school after that. But so, yeah, uh, I remember, uh, I think you've my, maybe you've referenced me with my high school nickname in here once or twice before, but my nickname in in high school was hippie. Um, and it wasn't cause I was, you know, a protester. I was, you know, anti-government or anything else to always been skeptical of it. But, uh, uh, I, you know, I was, I, I, uh, really had a, a liking to, uh, classic rock, uh, growing up. I grew up around uh, classic rock, Motown, that whole side of it. Uh, and I think freshman year in high school, I was one of the first kids to kind of grow my hair out and my hair grows real thick and curly. Uh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, almost kind of like Go a mop tap. Yeah, kind of like Joe Cocker or something like that, I guess. Um, it was a real person, kids. That's <laughs> not a made up name. Believe it. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and actually, it was uh, going back to him, referencing him, my, my friend Luke uh, that gave me that nickname. It was the first high school, my, my, me as an official high schooler in my freshman year, the first high school uh, kegger that I ever showed up to. Uh, and Luke was a year ahead of me, and he was, so I guess, an upperclassman at that time. Uh, was there and was feeling good. And when I showed up with a couple of the freshmen, me and Luke were friends. Uh, 
and in front of the other seniors or juniors and seniors, and I showed up. I just hear from this hot tub like, "Hey, cut your fucking hair, you hippie!" <laughs> and there's this little you know smash nose kid sitting in the the uh, hot tub, and literally, then all the seniors and juniors started calling me hippie that night. Sure, and it just stuck. It was there uh, forever. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's one of those things you don't get to pick your nickname. Right. And if you try picking your nickname, it ends up getting worse yeah. uh, usually. Yeah. So, but anyways, my hair was still long when I showed up to the boot camp, uh, and, and everyone's like, "Hey, can I get a haircut before you go? You get a haircut before you go?" And I was like, "No, they're gonna cut my hair when For I get free. there." So a perk, yeah, yeah. So I show up with this mop top, you know, and I think maybe like a Minnesota Viking shirt on or something. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, I'll never forget it. My mom bought me, uh, and I'm lucky I didn't get smoked for it. A chesty puller, uh, biography <laughs> you book. You didn't. Yeah. I brought it with me to read on the plane. <laughs> so I'm like holding chesty puller. And so anybody knows it's like the most decorated Marine in uh, Marine Corps history. He's got five Navy crosses. And so, That's it. yeah, like they snatched that shit out of my hands right away. And so flash forward when I graduated, you know, mom's like, Oh, where's that book? And I was like, Oh, I lost it in my receiving box. And she's like, they took that from you. Like she was going to write a letter to the commandant <laughs> of the Marine Corps. Like uh, you, excuse me, bastards, you stole that Christmas present. I Sorry bought for my son. Yeah. yeah. And at that point I didn't know enough about like the actual fleet, but I knew having your parents write letters to uh, your chain of command was not a good idea. It's always great. Yeah. Should have your mom write a letter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So write that down, kids or par- yeah. parents. If you're, if you listen- don't like what's going on basic training, have your mom write a letter. God. Yeah, parents, if you're listening, for God's sakes, do not write a letter. To or your when kids they go, or when they say, yeah. "Who hears from you know name the state? Who hears from Vermont? Yeah, I got a letter from your congressman. We got to have a talk. Yeah, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, do do that initial. I mean, it's, it's they strip you down, they shave your head, you walk around in your underwear everywhere, your skivvies. We call them the, the Marine Corps and getting all your bags to keep you up all night, you know, put you in a receiving uh, barracks, which isn't an actual training. You're not training. You're just waiting for training to start. Um, so you, you do that, that piece of it. Uh, and Black Friday is what they call it in the Marine Corps when you pick up with your training company. So you get assigned to a platoon, which I can't remember what it is in basic training. It's probably between 30 and 40. Yep. And then you have a company, which is, I think, three or four platoons. I can't remember. It's a little different in boot camp. I think they always ran them a little bit. Bigger. Lean. Or, I mean, sorry, heavy, because yep. they knew that probably five out of the 30 aren't yeah. going to hang out the whole time. Yeah. And, I mean, we had guys quit in receiving before we even started picking Honestly, up. Honestly, I think for me, that was probably the hardest part. Like, we call it 30th AG. Uh, that's where you first get in process. That's where you get your boots. You're, you know, you do all that stuff. That was honestly the hardest part because, like, once you had all your stuff, like, you're just standing there for a week waiting to go. You're like, man, I came here all fired up to start doing something, and all we do is eat and then hang out, get a uniform, you know, eat, go get something assigned to you. And it's just like, what are we doing here? You know, you, yeah. you had no cigarettes, no tobacco, no nothing to drink. And, you know, it's just like, oh, it's miserable. But once you start training, though, you're like, the days fly by. Yeah, you don't have time to think, yeah. really. But that... And that was the Marine Corps is actually uh, with all the crayon talk and all the you know intelligent shots between the services. They're actually pretty genius in their indoctrination and, and training because when you're in receiving, they don't let you blouse your boots or tuck them in all the way down. They don't let you wear boots. They make you wear your running shoes with your camis or your yeah. fatigues. They make you button it all the way up, top button to your <laughs> collar, and then you pull your cover all the way down as far as it'll come. So when there's a receiving recruit walking around, they stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah, uh, and so. Drill instructors just take turns, you know, smoking the piss out of, yeah. <laughs> you know, and for people that don't understand smoking, that's essentially uh, exercising them, exercising you, uh, usually to collapse or sometimes, uh, you know, vomiting, you know, at, at worst case scenario. And 
There's <laughs> sand, yeah, sand pits everywhere, so they're kicking sand in you and all that stuff, too. It's not a pleasant experience. You throw open the sand, they're kicking it back in your face, that whole side. But, but anyway, it makes you who you are. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah well, that's just builds a, character. It's a start. Well, they're just trying to see at first how much shit you can take and not quit with any service branch. Like, that's that's what it is. But so, anyways. We can quit? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't and, know that was an option. And, and some guys did. Um, For real, know, yeah. And I didn't really pay attention because I was just focusing on... <laughs> not skylining myself and just kind of getting you're through. trying to remember everybody's name for the first two weeks and how to talk and yeah. how to walk and you know how to not be noticed uh really is a a big skill uh too i yeah. learned in basic training not for me uh, yeah it's a big guy yeah well fuck i was you know six three two yeah, at that same, time yeah. i didn't have my fro anymore but you know I, I, I was uh a pretty easy target too but so you pick up on black friday uh and on black friday that's when you meet your your actual drill instructors Marine Corps usually has uh, three enlisted drill instructors uh, for your your pl- platoon, with a senior, a junior, and like kind of a bulldog. So order of same who's been there the longest. Bulldogs like the hammer, like that's the person that comes in and spend most of your time with that guy. Yes, honestly. and smokes the yeah. hell out of you, discipline wise. The juniors kind of whenever a little the bit bulldog of needs a break. Yep, and then the senior is kind of like dad, you know, guiding the ship. Yes, yeah, yep. who's been on, who's been doing it for a while. Uh, so you, you pick up, but every, everyone's, you know, a bulldog that first Black Friday. They call it Black Friday for a reason. They keep you up. Uh, it's just full-on scream fest. There's nothing. You, even if you do something 110% right, it's 110% wrong. You're going to get called out on it. The, like, the job is you're not going to succeed, and you need you to can. be okay with failure and just push through it. Uh, you get one phone call. It's about 30 seconds, and they hover over you. Yep, I call, made it. Call home. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. I made it. I'm alive. I'm training. I love you click like did you just say i love you yeah that's usually what you hear behind you yeah, yeah. <laughs> while they wait for you to hear the click like those right. guys even though they pretty much scream their ears off they can still hear um so do the initial uh in doc pft all that side of it and then you start you know rudimentary uh you know rifle manual drill uh how to address people uniform all your basic medical you know stuff too um, Marine Corps knowledge, a lot of that, just historical, what you're here for, and then physical conditioning, building your body up. Yep. Um, so you do that for a whole month. Uh, and the, the two guys from Wisconsin, Wade uh, and Hop, uh, Wade and um, Marcus, uh, both uh, came with me. Same platoon, same so that was cool. That was cool, yeah. 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 From somebody familiar. Yeah, and then the guy that was just a family friend in town that wasn't you know going in infantry from Mankato, same platoon, uh, too. Um, he didn't make it out through, uh, first phase. He ended up getting, uh, sick, uh, pretty sick, really sick. Um, and so he ended up washing out, but me and, uh, Marcus and Wade stayed together the whole time through, which was really awesome. Uh, made it through first phase. I mean, you're still getting treated like, a you're less than nothing through that whole, whole point, but, but you're getting used, you're getting used to the routine. It's a new normal. Yeah. You got to figure it out. I mean, sleep, sleep is what it is. You're used to getting woke up for watch at night. You're used to just getting smoked, um, and kind of we had a, a pretty good platoon, uh, or at least a, a group of us, to where when you, you saw one of those guys that you know probably was gonna break or wasn't wasn't doing so hot, uh, and you know get smoked on the quarter deck outside, somebody else would purposely screw something up to get brought out Take there some with heat them. off them. Yes, yeah, yeah. Or you know at least if you're getting smoked in the pit and you can see a guy's just miserable, you flash a grin, yeah. you know, to him and. Or vice versa, when it's you know when you're you're down in the dump, somebody else did it to you. So we had a, had a pretty good crew, and I always I always appreciated that for and Mark and uh, 
Wade are the only two that I, I really still know from boot camp. So. I never realized that either until I was out, but I was very unique in that way too. I, had, I was with a really tight group of guys in basic training and in my unit at the 101st. Uh, once I got out, I was, I was like, you guys didn't all do this together every this? And I was like, oh, you know, I never realized how tight our, our and how big our group was of, you know, guys that were actually, you know, super tight like that. Yeah, no, I mean, I call myself fortunate and, and blessed on that side of it. Um, but you know, got through that initial first month haze, and then you go uh, kind of into the meat of every Marine's a rifleman uh, mentality mm-hmm. and motto. You go up to Camp Pendleton, where eventually I would be stationed, which is about an hour north, uh, kind of in the foothills, I believe, of the Sierra Nevadas there, or whatever that mountain range is. Um, it's the largest uh, military installation, uh, I think, on the West Coast, uh, Camp Pendleton. It's where 1st Marine Division is, uh, eventually my infantry battalion and my regiment, my dad's battalion regiment's there too. But then they have the whole uh, warfare side of it, and Edson Range is one of the the more famous uh, ranges in the military too, the rifle range. So you go up there and you learn literally, you know, for everybody, basic rifleman, uh, indoctrination, uh, basic uh, fire team and squad tactics. Because that's you know essentially same thing in the army after World War One the fire team and the squ- infantry squad became the base unit of maneuver. It's yep. it's not a big battalion coming online and everyone trying to bark commands from one officer. Civil it's, War type stuff. Yes, yeah, a revolutionary war. Yeah, and that, I mean that stayed through you know for us for from World War One and then really World War Two with the island campaign and then the European and uh, front and uh, at, you know. The wars in Africa with the the tanks and stuff, it had to be small unit leadership. And so that. Yeah, I mean, look at Russia and Afghanistan. We learned yeah. a lot from the guerrilla warfare from them, too. Yep, yep. And then into Korea and Vietnam and yeah. that whole side of it. So uh, so you learn essentially to maneuver as a squad, that whole side of it, a team. You stay out in the field a lot. It's culminated what the, what they call a crucible, which I, I think is a, a, I can't remember the actual mileage for it. I think it's a 12 mile hump or a ruck. You mm-hmm. guys call it, we call it hump in the Marine Corps, but a uh, ruck in the Army. Uh, with gear, and it's actually it's the heaviest pack you've ever carried until you actually get out in the fleet and start carrying You're twice like, as much Ow. weight and throw crew serves on top of it, all that side of it. Um, so I made that side of it. I, I found out from being from Flatland, uh, Minnesota, I actually do pretty well in the mountains. Sure. Uh, they have this thing called the rifle rack uh, when you're on a hump, and that's all the recruits that fall out, their rifles stay with the platoon. And so the, the drill instructors identify a couple guys as rifle racks. And so somebody falls out, they snatch that rifle from them, and they're like, where's my rifle rack? And, <sighs> so I think by the time uh, the, the pinnacle of the crucible at this uh, uh, 12, whatever, 13-mile uh, hump is, is uh, the Reaper, also affectionately known as Mount Motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> but the, the, re- the Reaper in the top of it. Yeah, I'll write that one down for all my swear words. Uh, sorry, Mom. I'll be in church on Sunday to ask for forgiveness for this, too. So uh, I was just there yesterday. Uh, but uh, I think by the time we got up to the, the Reaper. Yeah, the top of the Reaper, I think I had like five or six rifles on me. I was just smoked uh, for it. Uh, the, the guys that, you know, dropped it, you know, still made the hump. We, we kept everybody. I don't think anybody went down medical. They just got smoked extra at the top for giving up their rifle extra. And so then after that, you get a warrior's uh, dinner that, you know, you hump back down the mountain. It's all downhill. So it's, you know, wins at your back, you know. <laughs> what more could a guy Yeah, want? it's pretty much the hardest physical phase of, of basic training. But you feel so good when you're done, though. Oh, you God. feel like you, you really made it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're, 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 you spent the last year almost probably at this point dreaming of getting to this point where you could say, hey, I'm in the club. I'm one of the guys now. Yeah. And this, 
this is, you know, end of second phase. So, you know, third phase, you're going back down to San Diego, but you're really just getting ready for graduation at, at that yeah. point, the last month and polish and final drill comp and all that side of it too. Um, and I, I can't remember if we did pool comp. Um, did you get orders then at this point? Do you know where you're going in the next month? I, no? I knew I was going to school of infantry because uh, I was in the infantry. Oh right, yeah, I forgot. I forgot. I, I forgot that your uh, basic training and yeah. in your MOS training were separate. Yep, Marine Corps does that separate. So then you knew you were going to infantry school. And is there just one infantry school in the Marine Corps? Or is there one West Coast, East Coast? There's a uh, school of infantry West and school of infantry East. So Camp Lejeune, yep. Camp Pendleton is where actual school of infantry is. But, I mean, we came back from, uh, the Reaper came back to San Diego, uh, prepared for graduation, did the last month. My now wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, and my parents flew out for graduation. So we got one more phone call, uh, <laughs> like two weeks before graduation. Like, hey, I'm here, I'm alive, I'm going to graduate, here's family day, graduation day, please come, you know. Yeah, I remember having those phone calls too of being like my dad being like, "Hey, I'd like to book a ticket before it gets too." Ex-. I was like, "You realize I could fall off a tower tomorrow and break my leg, yeah. you know?" Yeah, and I'd probably never hear the end of it from you if uh, you, you bought, bought a plane ticket and then I got hurt. And uh, are you kidding me? I can't get my money back for this ticket. Remember yeah. that time I bought that non-refundable <laughs> ticket and you got paralyzed? Yeah. What an asshole! <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> right that, uh, that was a uh, that was a uh, brutal. That was a. Uh, I remember. I remember making that phone call too and being like, "Hey." You know, heaven forbid I don't choke on some pizza and die between now and then. I, I'm gonna make it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, I mean, it was it was uh, pretty cool to be on that. So you're essentially uh, home, home free home stretch, on, on that yeah. point. Um, so uh, the Marine Corps, because our basic training, our, our initial basic training for everybody is so much longer than every other service branches. Basic training. There's a thing called uh, boot leave. It's ten day leave block. Uh, post basic training nice. you don't necessarily always get it some guys you know i think they have for the army too you can put in for uh, recruiters assistance and get it extended a little longer me and then at this point wade and, and mark were buddies of mine i mean we just all wanted to get in the fight because i mean this is at this point this is april uh of 04 march of 04 yeah uh and so Things are really getting Western over there. Yeah. Uh, this was like there was the no-go zones uh, in, in Fallujah. This is before, you know, the battles of Fallujah and everything, too. And Ramadi. Uh, that was 06, right? Yeah. All that stuff was 06? Uh, All that stuff, 05, 06? So the, the first first push uh, through Fallujah was that spring of 04. And then uh, our uh, politicians um, buckled under pressure and then stopped it. And then sent the army in. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I actually, caught that. Uh, actually, the Marines took it over from uh, Fallujah. Or Fall- oh, we had that, that backwards. Yeah, we went in there first, and then you guys came in. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and on the on on both pushes, the second or the first and the second, there was uh, I think Seventh Infantry Division uh, was in there. Uh, one seven, I think, from the Army. I can't remember who was there the first time. Anyways, yeah. anyway, it don't matter. So yeah, that, I mean that that's going on. I remember talking with Wade and and Mark saying like, yeah, I'm putting in for recruiters assistance. Like, I want to get. Marine Corps, you call it the fleet deployable units. So, yep. Sorry, Jake. I want to get the fuck to the fleet. Uh, <laughs> every every time somebody swears, Jake's got to write down what it is so <laughs> well, he, he can edit it out for the radio. So I'm just keeping him keeping him honest and earning his paycheck over I there. I got to I got to have something to do over here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. And you can't just look pretty. So. <laughs> uh, so uh, did you dig the recruiters thing? No, no. But that was me, Mark, and Wade were like, we want to get we want to get in the fight. We want to get over there, and so. Yep. 
took that I ten, have ten days. Yeah, well, we took the ten day boot leave, came home, and you. So the recruit oh. assistance was on top of that. Yeah. So it. guys would be home for like three months, then uh, helping what? out. What? Yeah, but you got to wear uniforms and you got to go talk to high school kids and no, that whole side of it. Yeah, I just it wasn't. At that point, like literally, I joined because the second war. My buddies are going over there, and I joined the infantry because that was again romanticized. I just wanted to get over there, and at this point too, you're like the war is going to be over before I get there. Like <laughs> you know, it's 2004. Like I need to hurry up and get in because this thing's going to end. Um, and so came home, did boot leave. Uh, all my my friends and family were really awesome back home, and really just drank and hung out and saw a lot of people. Uh, not the extent of my dad. I didn't black out or do anything like that, but you know, <laughs> or wake up in a hotel or something like that. You know. I kept it pretty good just because I was worried about getting in trouble, you know, For real, yeah. at, at, at this time still working. Oh God. And at this time it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, yet like during the surge mentality where like, okay, you can go home and get an underage and we're, well, they would start booting your ass out yeah. still at that point. It was in that kind of peak before, you know, they stopped caring again. Um, so I just kind of kept, kept together. We got to, uh, flew back out to San Diego back in the same USO where I got pulled out for basic training and there's Wade and Mark, two dudes that I know. Uh, I think one of them might've been on the plane with me too, which was cool to have guys yeah. familiarity and a couple other guys I recognized from, uh, basic training that were in our same company that went infantry to, um, on that side of it. So a little familiar. I had one of those Nokia, uh, cell phones that just had like snake and mind sweep on it. Just, right, the, important, right? just yeah. the important stuff. Yeah. And had like, you know, I was, pretty sweet so i had like a led zeppelin you know <laughs> cover on it or something and i remember getting a call just from a random number while we're sitting there waiting and it was you know didn't have caller id on those phones you couldn't text on those phones but it was it was looked like a you know non-minnesota it wasn't a 507 that's all i knew you know for my, my infancy at that point of my life and so i answered it you know hello and it was is this uh PFC because I picked up private first class and basic training uh, with college and uh, yeah. squad leader, that whole side of it. Um, is this, you know, PFC private first class, uh, Michael McLaughlin? Yeah. Maybe. Like how the hell did they get? I didn't get a loan out yet. Yeah. I didn't take a no. loan out yet. I was like, everyone's here. I didn't miss the bus. I don't know what I'm in trouble for. And then is this the Michael McLaughlin that's uh, from Mankato, Minnesota and Tom McLaughlin's son? And I'm like, oh, fuck, did dad die? Sorry, Jake. Uh, it's like, did, did dad die? Like that was well, what else could it be? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I so said, I didn't ask that, but I was just, my heart sank and, uh, it was, well, this is uh, gunnery sergeant. I don't say his last name. His first name was cliff. Um, and I'm, uh, a different, uh, Mike's dad, you know, our fathers know each other. His dad was a Vietnam vet from back in the area. Well-known, uh, guy in the area too. Uh, he's like, I'm at School of Infantry. He's like, I'm not an infantry training battalion. I'm at uh, MCT, uh, Marine Corps Combat Training. That's where all the pogues go for three weeks yep. uh, post-boot camp. Um, all the non-infantry personnel go to MCT. Personnel other than a grunt. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and he said, well, uh, when you get in a receiving company, just keep your nose clean. Uh, you're going to pick up with a training company again, too. You're not going to get liberty for a couple weeks. I'll reach out to your chain of command, and when you do, you're not going out in town with the rest of them uh, idiots. You're going to come stay with me you know it's like well that's an order from a gunnery sergeant okay. seven yeah i was mm -hmm. like roger that and he's like one last thing uh don't get on the first couple buses that come pick you up and i was like too easy oh, okay you know whatever <laughs> click and then so i remember look at mark and i was like i just got a call from some gunnery sergeant and like when you're new in the marine corps of the army like an e7's like oh my god like that's yeah, that's 
That's about as big as it gets. That's like a general, but it's yeah. not, you know. <laughs> and they're like, what the hell did he say? And he's like, he said, don't get on the first couple buses. <laughs> and so I remember, I can't remember which one. It was either Mark or, or Wade. They're like, oh, like the first bus came and they're like, oh, and I was like, no, nah, dude, don't no, do dude. it. They're like, why? And you're like, just cause, just don't. And they were sweating. They were sweating. One of them was sweating bullets. I can't remember which one. And uh, so we, we eventually uh, got on like a, I don't know, a fourth bus or something. Um, but what I come to find out is the first uh bus and sometimes the second bus is where they picked all the guys out for camp guard camp beautification for ammo watch the whole time <laughs> so you delayed your training you would get put on camp guard for like a month or two before you would pick up as opposed to going receiving uh, so what did, a stellar piece of advice <laughs> dude mm-hmm. so I, I don't know if that that still holds but if you're if you're in the infantry and you're going to camp Pendleton, hang uh, out for, for a minute at least pass on the first bus you know, don't, don't be too eager i don't know if they're they're shipping four buses down there anymore like they used to but yeah, don't get on the first bus uh, but then I remember too, it was a PFC, uh, and there's all these guys, you know, the first you get checked in with a sergeant, no smoky bear anymore, regular cover. Yeah. Uh, and then you sit in a room holding and then some other PFCs and privates with no rank uh, <laughs> on their collars come in and start, you know, talking shit and a- acting like they're part of it and come, come to find out they're just dudes uh, in receiving, you know, two that have already been there that came off camp guard and then are now waiting to pick up in a training company. They're like, anybody's got cigarettes or chew or porno or any of that get it on the day you know, like i'm looking around i was like oh that guy's a pfc I'm like i'm a pfc i'm not giving them my chew I'm like what mm. the? and you know a couple guys are throwing all that stuff on and they just come out and put it in a garbage bag and then just walk out with it well they're divvying it up in the next room you chew this or all, i'll pass it around all, Is this all, they're, all they're doing literally i held on to my i was like one of those people that held on to my chew and and then you know, when we get into their steam company, like the only way you're going to get it out of them is if you fight them. And so nobody wants to get in trouble. Somebody's fighting them. So all those guys lost all their chewing tobacco because you don't, you don't get to go to the exchange or the PX to go right. get stuff right away. So then I was pretty much trading watches for a dip of my, <laughs> my chew because it was worth its weight in gold. Get, uh, armor, got, get a whole armful. Oh, dude, I was, you know, r- richest man. You know, I was the, the, the two eyed guy in one eyed island, you know, essentially <laughs> at that, that point. Uh, and, so you do the training company and uh, just general hazing with each other or the receiving uh, company. And we get a date to pick up for training. Don't remember what company I was going to. Uh, and th- again, the day before we pick up with our training company, one of the sergeants comes in and he's like, Private First Class McLaughlin. He's <laughs> like, just in a squad bay, you know, we're hanging out, you know, tucking corners and you know, yeah. polishing stuff that's been polished before. <laughs> Just, you know, trying, to, An hour like ago. A, trying yeah. not to look like a target, you know, when yeah, right. a sergeant or something. I am extremely busy right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, and so, again, it's, you know, get, get your ass over here. Sorry, Jake. Uh, walk out in the ladder while the stairwell. Uh, and he says, stay right here and leaves. And so like, this is probably like the first time since I've been in the Marine Corps. I'm just alone, you know, besides watch. Like, right. No, yeah, no, yeah. no, no mission, no guy. Like, just stay here. Like, man, did I... What did I do? Mm-hmm. Am I going to get smoked? Like, because I mean, it didn't happen often, but you would, you know, you guys would, and occasionally just example or something, if you screwed them up, they would take you out and just smoke you, you know, not not beat you, but you know, tell you. Make an example yes, of you. Yep. Right, right. And then you come back <clears throat> and smoke, everyone sees it, that whole side of it. I'm like, what did I do? Thinking, like, oh, God, it can't be the chew. It's been a couple of days already. And yeah, it would have so, had me up better. It's yeah. like the one sergeant took a dip off me, you know, like <laughs> Bobby Bumwell. Like, you can't, oh, just, you know, thinking of it. And then I look down below the ladder well, I see this, you know, uh, you know, brick house uh, of a man start walking up. Cliff? Yeah. Uh, and I didn't know it at the time. Woodland camis and the Marine Corps, just like the Army, all our rank is black. Yep. Uh, and when he started adding rockers, 
Can't tell. Yeah, we get past one rocker, two and three. It doesn't matter. No, and so I'm like, oh, good afternoon, morning, sir, uh, sir, gunny, master sergeant. And he's like, it's, you know, gunnery sergeant, you know, say his last name. Uh, and uh, I was like, oh, and he's like, you're Michael McLaughlin, Tom McLaughlin. So I'm like, yep. Like, Remember what I told you on the phone? I was like, you're not going out in town with the idiots and getting in trouble when you get liberty. I will be out on the parade deck with my truck, and you're going to come with me. Roger that. Uh, so the, the Marine Corps is, is a little bit different, too, once we pick up with our training company, and we'll get into too much detail on it. But our infantry, uh, kind of like the Army used to, but now the Army just has 11 Bravo and Charlie yep. for the infantry series. So Light infantry and mortarmen. Yep. yep, you're a mortarman or you're just a basic rifleman, too. Uh, and, and the Marine Corps has uh, the O3 series is your infantry uh, jobs. Then we specialize a little bit more. They have the the mortarman, they have the rifleman, they have the heavy machine gunner, uh, which everyone ends up getting trained on, but they end up being a specialty in Mark 19, the 40 millimeter oh, sure. grenade launcher, 50 cal, that time 240, um, and everybody carried a saw. But yep. uh, And then we had uh, assaultmen, which fired the, the javelin, the shoulder fire rocket at the time. Laws weren't back yet at that time. Uh, everybody fired the AT4, the 84-millimeter rocket, but then they did some advanced demolitions uh, training, sure. too, for breaching Some charges. engineer stuff. Yeah, 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 kind of a field expedient engineer. Uh, and then we had tow gunners, which were kind of a legacy left over from the Cold War <laughs> of tank hunter teams, you know, light, yeah. light mobile and try and go disable tanks uh, on that side of it. So, And they, they rank them by ASVAB, and funny enough, I, th- I think Rifleman had the lowest you know, ASVAB <laughs> score. And so when you pick up, you pick up with your training company, everybody for that first four weeks. School of Infantry for Infantry Training Battalion is eight weeks long, too. So I did 13 weeks of basic training. Now, 18, eight weeks of how to be an infantryman. Eight right. Weeks. And mine was total 13. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, Army's actually looking at going to Marine Corps. Yeah. To kind of, they should. To kind of fit that uh, model now. They've been talking about it for recently for the uh, last year or two. Um, but so... Add an extra week of IED training in. Yeah. 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 I wanted to do this. I thought about it. I was like, uh, uh, I'll let that go. Yeah. Route, route Could use one more week of route clearance. Just yeah. route clearance. Yeah. In general. Yeah. Clear the route. Yeah. Proof the lane. Yeah. Uh, uh, so so bad. you do the, the, everyone does four weeks of just regular infantry stuff the first, and then you split into your specialties and you get a wish list of what do you want to do. And uh, so I put rifleman. Uh, assaultman, uh, that's the little bit more demo, and then mortarman. Uh, Rifleman again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and so we, we literally picked up, and I went I went with the 11s right away. And then after that first day, they're like, you're going to uh, 41s, you're going to mortars. I was like, what the hell? And I don't have a choice. I'm thinking in my head, what the hell? You don't tell them what the hell. Yeah, I don't think you're right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it's not drill instructor, you know, but you still, it's it's an a. Uh, still a step up from just the regular fleet and how you're treated. You don't have, you know, privileges. You don't have like you do being a regular unit yet. And so, I mean, there's no discussion. There's no like, hey, this is my career. It's like, no, that's what you're doing. So, so in the mortarman, and did that that training. Uh, actually, the the instructor for that was from Minnesota, which was kind of cool. Did you shoot mortars then for a while? Yeah. Six, do you like hanging arounds or no? 60s and 81s. Um, yeah, I mean, it was cool. Uh, the ranges, there was a couple of ranges where you were elevated. Uh, humping that stuff again up the the mountains uh, wasn't that that fun. You Brutal. Know, you get the horrible the eighty one barrel and 
or the the tripods for those things. There's no good way of holding on to it. Everything hurts. When but it... then you're still carrying your saw. You're still carrying you know batteries. You're still carrying chow, ammo, water, side, yeah. water, that whole side of it. And that's throughout basic or throughout uh, infantry training in the Marine Corps. You're progressing in your humps. I think we did like uh, we did at least three, if not four, full gear. And you step up. You do like an eight mile. Uh, you do like a 12 and I think we finished maybe with like a 20 mile. It's uh, a, a, di- a haul. I might be yeah. uh, uh, grandi- uh, grandizing a little bit, but it's, it's somewhere around that 15 mile to 20 mile was our final one. Uh, after 10, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's no, just I forever. Mean, feet just go numb. Back just goes <laughs> numb. Yeah. You, not, no monohydration is going to keep the, no. uh, yeah, at that point. So do the mortar uh, side of it. And again, too, uh, you don't get a wish list of what battalion you're going to or what regiment you're going to, uh, in the Marine Corps, at the end of School of Infantry, Infantry Training Battalion, they look at guys with first-class PFTs uh, and um, uh, expert rifle scores, too. And you got an option to do if you want to do a, a recon or a scout sniper, uh, just the NDOC, the Tryout. 72-hour haze fest. Yep. Uh, a couple guys did it. And again, uh, another buddy of mine from Texas at that time that came pretty close with and Wade and um, Mark were still, they went the, uh, the rifleman route. Uh, talking with them and seeing them too and it's like nah man i just want to get to the fleet and i want to get in the game yep. and deploy you know my platoon sergeant actually was a marine that <clears throat> and you know got out before 9-11 yeah. and uh he had ranger school yeah that's kind of wild to see you yeah. yeah i was like oh when did you do ranger school he's like actually when i was in the marine corps yeah I'll, I'll i'll come back to that in a little bit i have another guy that fits that mold too but uh so uh nope don't want nothing to do it and we find out um going to first battalion first marines uh, first Marine Division, uh, first Marine Regiment, first Marine Division. So let's call it one, one in the Marine Corps. Marine Corps, uh, got it down to a good system. Anything in your unit designator that is uh, double single digits, like one, one, two, one, three, four, uh, two, seven is infantry. As soon as you hit a double digit, you're out of the infantry. <laughs> so if you hit one ten, you're in artillery. If you hit one eleven, you're in artillery. Never two, even knew that. Yeah. Yeah. So any, anything single digit wise, unless you're, you know, Vietnam or prior. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Current conflicts. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Going forward, you're you're in the infantry. Uh, so I'm I'm going to First Battalion, First Marines, which is this place uh, called Camp Horno, which is a subset base on Pendleton, three miles down the road. So we're literally getting a bus. <laughs> By the time like you get your seat, you're stopping and you're getting out. Get out. Yeah. Uh, and so a couple guys went to three one. It's all the same regimental camp area at Horno. A couple guys went to two one, and a couple guys went to one four. And then me, Mark, uh, my buddy Ryan, uh, Wade. And then a couple other guys went to one one. They're, Still all together. Yeah, there's probably wow, like that is that's crazy. Yeah, there's probably like thirteen of us. Uh, yeah, that from boot camp. Uh, and then another guy, I forget is his last name, Royal, but not, I don't remember his first name. Uh, to uh, all all went there, and again, you get to ask. We need people for stay platoons, uh, scout snipers, that side of it, and uh, uh, they asked anybody want to do the in doc for it. And again, I look at my buddy Ryan. I'm like, no. So when I get into it, uh, Royal from uh, basic training ended up going to it, and one other guy uh, and just got haze for 72 hours. We still got haze, but you know we didn't get to get a, a sniper slot afterwards. Pick up uh, with my unit there in 29 Palms doing their uh, desert warfare and their urban warfare uh, training, one of the big uh, FTX in the Army or FXs, uh, field ops in the, in the Marine Corps, usually out there for about a month. So they're all gone, so it's just like, ghost town there's sorry. horrible feeling yeah sorry jake it's uh the broke dicks uh, <laughs> uh that are just you know back 
the remain behinds that aren't off training. Or the guys getting out of the Army yes. or Marine Corps yep. or whatever reason they had not to be in the field. And that was that was probably, I mean, it was a, uh, a blessing and a curse uh, because there was a couple of those guys that had some of the early Afghan deployments uh, and had, like, actually the initial invasion of Afghanistan. I uh, was one of the corporals that was there, and he was, like, three weeks from getting out. And he, he's like, well, we're on duty. You call me, you know, corporal. And then after out, he's like, hey, you want a beer? And, like, <laughs> you know, call me Ryan or whatever. I can't even remember his name. Uh, so, like, well, this is great. Like, I'm getting treated like a regular adult and everything else, too. And I got this uh, other uh, guy that's remained behind from uh, Minnesota, too, uh, marching us around that's, uh, you know, E3 and everything's, like, you know, hands in pockets and no – no staff sirens, no officers, no nothing around, and just kind of get in my barracks room and just kind of hang out. I don't have any roommates in there because everybody's gone or they aren't filled with the new guys yet. And then everybody came back. Oh, God. Yeah, so I was I was super lucky that I was on duty. Uh, there's this thing called barracks duty, uh, duty NCO or, or assistant uh, uh, duty where you somebody always has to man and watch the barracks yep. uh, while you're in there. Pull and CQ guard. desk is what we call yep. it, yeah. Pull and guard. And so when they came back in, it was I was on duty as a duty and i was actually on shift so that they couldn't screw with me because i was working yes yeah i'm I'm essentially like the security guard like they they can't screw with me at at this point that's about the only time you couldn't get screwed with unless the the duty is screwing with you or the sergeant the guard screwing you uh and so they came back in you know just stunk to high heaven they've been out in the field for a month there's a couple guys that are boots like me new guys that you know picked up right before they left Uh, a couple guys that trickled in i just happened to be there at like the cutoff point they had like two weeks after training and it wasn't worth to send us out there. And so they, I get to watch from afar. They got screwed with and played games and they were there till like 10 o'clock that night on a Friday before they cut them loose. And when Sergeant Lagarde cut me loose, I didn't have a technically a platoon yet. Sergeant Lagarde cut me loose. I had his name and rank and everything else too. And I was like, I'm just going to secure for Libo. I went and hung out with my gun, gunnery sergeant for the weekend. <laughs> I'll be my bear. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And so I, I came back that Sunday uh, from out in town from uh, Vista and checked in. And, of course, uh, a new guy, a boot in the infantry in the Marine Corps, walking down the barracks is like a new guy in prison. Like everybody knows, you know, that you're new and nobody knows you. You don't have any friends, that whole side of it. Uh, not the sex stuff like prison, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, like just identify. Yeah, mark that down, Jake. Uh, uh, and. And so, like, you, know, you get a big target, and there's a couple other uh, boots there, too, uh, new guys that have been there a couple weeks before me. And so it was me and my buddy Ryan, uh, and I think uh, our buddy Derek, too, uh, were, all went to the same platoon from School of Infantry. And then just the hazing started from the new guys. I think that's one thing, too, people don't realize is that it's not that getting smoked is that bad, right? Like, it's, it's not fun. It's but doing well, but perspective. Yeah, it's it. You're doing push-ups forever. You're doing this forever. You're doing whatever. Running up a hill. But yeah. at this point in the game, when you're almost to your unit, you're almost with your guys. You are at the end of being messed with. I yeah. mean, you've been being messed with every waking moment of every single day for the last eight, nine months, whatever it may yep. be. And you're just like, man, if I can just duck my head down somewhere hide in here for a half hour and not be messed with, that would be a dream come true. You know, like you see somebody coming and you pass them and you're like, oh, thank goodness he didn't bust my balls. You know, it's yeah. like, yeah. man. But at that point, you're really honestly just sick of getting messed with. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And and again, you know, in basic training, you're learning how to be a Marine and what being a Marine is all about. In your MOS school, infantry training battalion, you're learning your job, what you're actually going to do. Um, and 
when you get to your unit, then you actually learn that unit, what your standard operating procedures are, what your job's going to be, what your role's going to be, more advanced training. You know, you learn more of the specifics. And so those guys that have been there for a while, it, you know, it, and it's with good love. There's the guys that bucket, uh, and, and they've, I think they've toned it down a little bit now, but the guys that bucket ends up being, you know, worse, worse for them. But if you, I mean, just, you know, bear down, get through it, pull your weight, keep charging forward, you get left alone. And at the worst, like you're saying, at this, at the end of the night, you can still go in your barracks room with you and your, you know, four other guys, order a pizza when you're done getting screwed with and play some video games if you want. Cut to. loose. Yeah. Low, yeah. So anyways, I go, go through that initial, uh, you know, indoctrination on the unit, kind of figure some people out. Uh, figured we're, I'm in a weapons platoon, uh, for weapons company. Uh, so we're, we got the 81s, uh, for those. Um, and so originally get put on a, a gun uh, for that, for our training ops. And then I keep hearing about this thing, Marine Corps, they don't do it like a separate MOS where they send them off to a school for mortars, on a battalion company, platoon level. The four observers are just a rifleman or another 41 that learns how to call for fire. From sure. The guy. Yep. And so you got to be good at map reading. You got to be good with the the camo equipment, and you got to be able to hump. You got to be able to carry weight up up the hill. Uh, FOs traditionally, you know, go out in a two man team, you know, in support of a with a, a unit, and you kind of break away to the side and find a nice perch to direct fires. And you know, traditional force on force military. So at this point, a lot of our training is based around traditional uniformed military force on force still. Uh, and we're starting to hear this thing of mount, you know, urban warfare. We're starting to do some CQB, uh, close quarter uh, combat, room clearing, that side of it too. But then you have this overlay of we still got to be ready to fight a uniformed force. So I got to do uh, some call for fire, and I wasn't a, considered an FO at that that point, a Ford Observer. But then we kind of switched and transitioned and started going into the, hey, we're probably going to Iraq. Afghanistan's really quiet right now in, in 04. This is about June of 04. Um you know, the first push through uh, Afghanistan or through uh, Fallujah just happened. Uh, there's this thing called Sadr City that's you know, <laughs> heating up. Yeah, and the Jaff, uh, the battle in Jaff was going on too, I believe, at the time. Uh, so, start doing a lot of this urban warfare stuff. Not a lot of stuff you did in infantry training battalion and in basic training, where you're you're going into multi-story buildings or single-story uh, buildings, practice on pying off rooms. Uh, getting in a stack. It's all fire team based, four man uh, level, you know, assault uh, assault security support, you know, that that whole stack side of it. Uh, and, and really getting on that side. For me, I was a bigger dude again to, you know, six, six, four. I was, I was actually one of those dudes that gained weight in boot camp. I went from, <laughs> yeah, up, up to like 200 pounds or so at that point. So six, three, six, four, 200 pounds. So I got stuck with a saw yep. uh, right away, which the only good thing about a saw, it's a squad automatic weapon, fully automatic machine gun is you're not the first or second guy in the door uh, because the asset that saw is to the, the fire team and it's an open bolt weapon system. That's one more mechanical thing to go wrong. Yeah. You don't want, you don't want me going to a room. No, you fill the whole door. Like you are the fatal funnel. Like, right. You just plug that. And only only that, but when I pull this trigger, there's about 10 of them coming out at once. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And you know, for precise uh, precision uh, firing too, that thing is more of an area fire uh, weapon than a (laughs) a point and walls aren't thick over there. So, uh, so I carry the saw doing that whole side of it, uh, find out, uh, really as there, we're going on a Mew, a Marine Expeditionary Unit. So it means we're taking ship transport uh, over wherever we end up going, but we're still thinking Iraq. Uh, so the Bonhomme Richard was the big ship that we were on. Um, How long a float? Uh, God, I, th- I think because we did humanitarian aid relief on the way over there, I think we did 
it was probably two months before we got dropped off. Uh, so you knew you were going to war? Eventually, yeah. yeah. You yeah. knew at the end of that float, wherever you hit shore, yep. well, you, were, you, were, you were putting boots on the ground in some country. Well, well k- kind of, man, because you know, in, 0- in 04, there was still that political push and pull of like soldiers and Marines were still getting after it in there, but people, you know, there was kind of a battle, I think, between the generals and the politicians of, hey, we can win this. And it was like, no, these images are showing up on TV. We don't want to necessarily right. let the military do what the military is good at. So there was kind of this weird political thing vibe at the time where it's like for one day it's like the war's peaking up and it's like, oh, they're going to cancel the whole thing and pull everybody out. So, again, that, that emphasis, like, man, we need to back over there before this war Get ends. Get me in. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so we left on the bottom Richard. Uh, it's like a mini carrier. I mean, a couple other ships with us, smaller ones, the Rushmore, and I can't remember the other one. Uh, so one underway when you're a marine infantryman on a naval ship, there's nothing to do but do work and parties. So I was I washed dishes, you know, <laughs> I tread trash. I did that whole side of it. Uh, you would PT on the flight deck when they weren't doing flight ops, just run in circles oh, and do yeah. push, push ups that whole side of it. Uh, they let us shoot off the the fan, the end of the the vehicle uh, or the vehicle of the ship, uh, two for a marksmanship uh, and stuff like that. Um, when we were we were originally slated, I think, to go to I think Thailand to do some like multi uh, international force training with Thai Marines. Uh, but there's this little thing uh, in December of 2004. Uh, there's a tsunami that hit the South Pacific. Oh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think I think actually it's still like the largest recorded natural right. disaster in world. I remember seeing videos in of world, it. world history. Well, we were just you know this armada of ships that were just floating into the South Pacific. That was a no wake zone. Yeah, pretty, 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 pretty <laughs> I much. what you did. Pretty much right on the epicenter of it. Uh, and I, I remember uh, the the big ship that we were on didn't really rock, but the swells, like we had stuff falling out of the coffin racks. And oh, stuff really? Yeah. You know, um, and so we, we pulled into to Guam and pretty much was like, nope, all training's canked. We're going right to Indonesia and this island called uh, Sri Lanka in the Indian Ocean uh, that got hit real bad. And so... Uh, when we pulled in a Guam, it's like, we're just getting rid of all our trash, all the, sh- all the stuff we don't, all the stuff we don't need. Uh, and we're going to load up with everything we can. And so it's the only time I voted or volunteered, uh, besides Pearl Harbor, uh, that wasn't a working party, but the only time I ever volunteered for a working party, uh, was to get off the ship to haul trash because we were down on cigarettes. We were down on chew. We were down on magazines and we had listened to the same CDs over and over again because, you know, MP3s weren't really a thing. Yeah. Uh, and so like I, Rammer running up to the the exchange and just loading up my my rucksack. I it wasn't a smoker too, but I was like, "This is worth gold and training for everybody yeah. else." So as much Copenhagen and as much they didn't have no PX on the ship. They did, uh, but you had PX. It's again cleaned out. Yes, yeah. Got it. As soon as they got loaded up, all the tobacco was gone in like the first three hours. And You're like, we got a flight deck, fly some in. Oh, dude, and uh, the Navy always got first crack because oh, their sure, ship. Their ship. They all got first crack, and then Marines get to kind of come in there after the fact. So, you know, you might get some, like, diet caffeine-free Coke and, like, <laughs> cherry skull or something. <laughs> yeah, Not the good stuff. Just Lovely. the essentials. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah, yeah. So uh, from Guam, we went to Indonesia. Uh, that place was just uh, smoked. And, but, again, for lower enlisted, uh, with nothing glamorous. It's just a, a working party, uh, building pallets, uh, you know, si- si- siffing through MREs, we, we you know had to pull out the pork MREs uh, out, oh, yeah. out of there too, yeah, just because of the the religious culture there, um, and then uh, water pallets and all that stuff. But the whole place was just uh, trashed. Um, I mean, just de- devastated. And then uh, the two smaller ships broke off to 
Sri Lanka. We spent th- three weeks in Indonesia, I think it was, uh, back and forth between the ship, uh, you know, replenishing and running supplies. And we had the, the desalinization units to make water, drink oh, water. Oh, sure, clean water, yeah. side of it. We were actually the first, I believe, uh, International forces and the first U.S. forces on scene. Uh, Bande Aceh was the the part of Indonesia we were on, uh, Sumatra, um, and then same thing with the Rushmore and the other ship uh, in Sri Lanka. <laughs> so we broke contact from Indonesia, started steaming further into the Indian Ocean. Uh, and, and side note, that's. Did you ever get sick on the ship or anything like that, or did it feel like you were on a big ship? No, I, I did all right uh, with it. Even I spent some time on the little ship uh, during our training and workups, and I did fine. Does it get rough, or is it pretty smooth? Well, it gets rough. Oh, the smaller ship, the big ship, again, we had to be in the, the largest natural disaster in human history to no, feel, right, yeah. feel real uh, waves in it. But the small ships, yeah, you, it, it would pitch and roll. Uh, sure, I didn't know. I mean, <clears throat> you know, I've been in a 20-foot lawn fishing for yeah. <laughs> walleyes on the <laughs> lake, and it gets, different, yeah. gets a little rocky out there when you catch a wake and stuff like that. I just didn't know if, like, you know, can you tell that you're floating or if you're sitting or, oh, yeah. you know? The small ships you can for sure. The big one, you get kind of used to it. Like when you're running on the flight deck or, you know, when you're working out, you can definitely feel it. Or when you're sh- you were shooting, you know, marksmanship stuff, you can yeah, feel it too, yeah. just those little variances. Yep. But the, the small ships, uh, you could for sure. I think what screws the people is you have no windows outside, so you have no horizon. Oh, so you have no, per, yeah. Kind of screws the people. Yeah. Um, and so anyways, we, we steamed uh, to meet up the rest of kind of our armada uh, up in uh, Sri Lanka, and we start getting briefed like, yeah, we're probably going to have to go ashore on here because there's some issues going on. I can't remember what it was, but we start getting briefed on like the civil war that was going on in Sri Lanka before the tsunami hit. And Sri Lanka is like the most landmined uh, country in the world at this point, or one of the most landmined. Like, we don't know where any of the landmines are because the tsunami came through and we'll washed know. them all out. We'll and, know in a minute. Yeah. So, like, we essentially got put on alert for it. We never got launched uh, for it. Um, thank God. Um, and so then uh, we went up uh, to the Persian Gulf after that when we reunited with everybody. I got on the Gulf. Something went wrong with our ship, so we stopped at Bahrain. That oh, was with, really? With, you know, yeah, with Tony, Tony, where I said yeah. I knew the Thunderdome. So that, again, was a couple of days where we just got to dick off and, and drink and everything, too. Um, and then from there, we went off uh, to Kuwaiti Naval Base. And so they, I was guessing, being that close, they had yeah. to drop you in Kuwait, right? Yeah, and so we actually flew off the flight deck on, I think it was CH-53s. Uh, what? Just, yeah, lo- loaded, man. Uh, and they had some guys that that launched out the amphibs on the back of uh the big the big ship too but we were on 53s which just sucked because you're loaded with your full combat load everything on it you're just crammed in there with all your optics yeah. and everything else too and it's like this thing goes down there's no way we're we're no, we're yeah, you're done. Yeah. Yeah. we've done the helo dunker but like there's no way no there's too much gear no way so go go to kuwait we train there at, uh, camp bearing or something for a couple of weeks and eventually uh we get up to uh uh, Fab Falcon, uh, Southern Baghdad, uh, kind of Babylon uh, area, uh, r- route uh, uh, Iris, Tampa, and Jackson were like the main MSRs yeah, around there. Everybody area. knows Tampa. Yeah, and there was uh, Clover Leaf was real known on that area. Uh, I mean that that deployment in country comparative to the second one was was pretty quiet. We did a lot of a lot of raids, a lot of presence patrols, uh, essentially a lot of route clearance, clearing the lane. Uh, at that that point, um, there was a little bit of a, a lull in, in the fighting uh, there. So now we're probably in like winter of 05, spring sure. of 05. Winter's always slower. Yeah. Um, and we came out, I mean, 
thankfully, um, you know, we didn't, didn't take any casualties and my platoon or my company, our unit took a, you know, a couple, um, you know, <coughs> total, I think there's some artillery guys, um, too, but pretty quiet overall, uh, get picked back up by the ship, uh, come back home. The ship captain gave us a, a 72 hour libo in Brisbane, Australia. How long do you think you were in country for the first time? Oh God. Between, between Kuwait and Iraq, I don't know, a couple months. Sure. It wasn't that long because yeah. we, we got. I didn't know if you were doing a six month rotation or a year or what. So usually, yeah, Marines are six to eight months depending yeah, on how things are going. Uh, but the, essentially, with the, the whole uh, rigmarole with the tsunami, we probably lost, you know, between there and between Sri Lanka mm. and then between going to Bahrain, I think we lost probably a month and a half. Sure. Potential time. So, um, and then they were doing the elections and trying to turn things over to the Iraqi National Guard the first time in 05. So they were kind of paring it down. And they actually started pulling units out of Iraq, uh, which kind of really uh, screwed us coming back in 06 uh, right. <laughs> for that time. So I came back, uh, Camp Pendleton. Uh, I mentioned it before, Dad got to fly out. And yeah, fly I was going to ask, was that the trip that he got to ride home with yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. I mean, Holly at the Holicoa, or on ship. Uh, and went stay at the Holly Co in Honolulu for a night or two with them. I think one of the coolest things that uh, I appreciate about that story is getting to go on deck, right? Yeah, in your uniform and everything, yeah. and like uh, being one of the guys that you see like as a ship rolls in at attention on the flight deck, watching the ships roll in. I mean, uh, I think any young kid could always say when you see those guys up there in their uniforms, you're like, I, I want to be that guy someday. Yeah. You know, and I, even now I'm like. Dang, that's pretty cool, you know? Yeah. And uh, what a privilege or honor to stand on a ship like that and roll into a port and, and have and, and be the, the representative, in a sense, of, you know, I mean, your country. Yeah, man. Uh, so that's the only thing with a uniform, like a dress uniform that I ever volunteered uh, for uh, with that. But uh, it's called Man in the Rails, and so they put sailors and Marines on top of the, the top mm-hmm. deck. Uh, Manning the rails? Yeah. yeah. You stand the rails. Yeah, I didn't know, yeah. Um, and look outward at, you know, it's, it's kind of a ceremonial thing, but then you come into Pearl Harbor and you're elevated, you know, a couple stories above, it's all flat in that Harbor, you know, the mountains in the background, you yep. go by the USS Arizona and you go by, you know, Fort Island with, you know, all those ships that were sunk there. And Your so, chest and head probably couldn't have gotten any bigger. Oh huh? God. Yeah. That, so that was, that was, that, <laughs> yeah. that was awesome. I mean, that was really cool. I'm, I'm glad that's something I, I volunteered for. I don't, you know, I don't even, I don't even know why I threw my hat in the ring. You know, I'd like to say there's some you know, perspective side of it, but I didn't really appreciate it until I was up there. And really sure. like, oh, I made a, I made a good decision. So. I could just see you downtown that night. Hey, did you see that ship come in today? <laughs> that was me. That so, was me up so, on there. Actually, so good looking, matter of fact, you know, Marine up there, with broad shoulders, <laughs> medium, medium intelligence. Um, <laughs> yeah, you thought I was going somewhere else with that, didn't you? Dick? <laughs> oh, He's about ready to write that down. Yeah, right oh, that down. Medium. Oh, oh, he said intelligence. Yeah. So then, <laughs> Dad rides back with you to Pearl Harbor, or from Pearl Harbor to Stateside. Yeah, back to uh, Cal- California. Okay. Yep. And I, you know, to be honest, for the life of me, I can't remember if we went into San Diego. I, I think we got off on the amphibious vehicles. Saint Diego. Saint Diego. Yeah. Originally discovered by the Germans. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. Uh, yeah, I think we took the amphib vehicles into Camp Pendleton, uh, amphib boats, amphibious uh, boats, and then got offloaded in Del Mar, I believe. But cool. don't, don't quote me on that. So then we went to the battalion, or, you know, our, our regimental battalion headquarters, the parade, parade deck, once all our sealized gear was turned in, formation, and they secured us. And then we sat and, you know, celebrated, had a celebratory beer and everything else. And again, wasn't a smoker, but we were back on 
uh, U.S. soil, so they're passing cigarettes around. And I fired one up, and my old man's like, "Is there anything you're doing that I, you know that I I did that you're not doing or something along them lines?" Like, oh, walk them home, Dad. You know. So, uh, but really, you know, still got time left in my contract. It's like hit the training cycle right away. You get a little leave block, go home, see everybody. Had a cool welcome home uh, back home with family and friends. Uh, Dad bought me my life membership to VFW, bought me my first drink uh, back home. You know, we That's talked cool. about that. Even yeah. in recovery, brought me down to VFW, had one of those. Uh, and then literally turned and burned, came back. And it's like all of our seniors are coming and going, re-enlisting or leaving, not a whole lot re-enlisting at that time. Um, and a lot of them going. And it's like, okay, so we're going to start figuring out who's going to be team leaders, you know, really fire team leaders. There isn't an NCO yet in my group that has that deployment done, a non-commissioned officer. Uh, but the Marine Corps, since we hit non-commissioned officer at E4, you know, E3, you can actually be a team leader, a Lance yep. Corporal uh, fire team leader. And so start jockeying that side of out. Some people get schools, and I get told I'm going to infantry squad leaders uh, course. It's like, okay, I'm not a squad leader, you know, not, Sweet. Even, not even a team leader. And yeah, like, we're well, jumping you, a step. And yeah. that's why I find out, like, you're going to be a fire team leader. And it's like, okay, four guys. And I found out I had to be a fire team leader because to go to that school, if you're not a non-commissioned officer, your unit has to say you're holding that billet, you know, to, to get into you're it. You're going to slot him, yeah, when he gets yep. done, yeah. And so you go back to a school of infantry, and it's advanced infantry uh, training. Uh, and I think it was another, like, six- to eight-week school. It was a pretty long one, too. And literally, you're learning to be a squad leader and literally up to a platoon commander or platoon sergeant because you're writing uh, route overlays, you're doing uh, your logistics, you're doing, uh, you know, five-paragraph orders, uh, that whole side of it. And then you're... You're PT and like crazy, but it's not, you know, physical condition like uh, PT. Your gear runs everywhere because if you're going to be a combat leader as an infantry squad leader, you got to be able to have the stamina with all the gear on. So you're doing rock runs, you're doing deuce gear the whole time. Living boots. it. Yeah. And I got really good at running mountains. I mean, really, really good. Uh, I, I'm sure when, when my boots picked up, they really didn't appreciate how well I could I could do in the mountains. Uh, <laughs> it's the worst. Running them, yeah. Uh, but so it, it did that. Um, and that's where the tie-in with ranger school his name was gunny hurst uh he just came he was a squad instructor or <laughs> instructor on ranger uh at the ranger school because uh, they have marine air force Human, you know, cadre, Navy, yeah. yeah for that instructor cadre and ranger school and so they had just done an overhaul of infantry squad leaders course on west coast and so they they brought in the ranger school peer eval so you could get peered out uh you had your performance that the instructors uh graded you on each squad had one staff sergeant uh, e6 that was your instructor and then you had an e7 or e8 that was the you know head nco uh, ic for staff nco ic for the school and then you had a a major um but so he brought the peer eval so every time you would you would go out you would uh so take up a training cycle you would uh friday come in from the field you would get your warning order to write op orders and your uh, overlays over the weekend weekend. come in monday you do a little class time, you present it, they pick one person, you're first of the squad, and then you would go out, and it was, for the most part, yeah, all live fire, which was awesome, uh, ranges that they set up for us. And then you would go out, and you would be out in the field, you know, those four uh, four or five days, and then come back Friday, and the same thing all over again. But that Friday when you come in, you would sit in a group, and all 12 of you, there was no hiding it how you voted for somebody. You looked that person in the eye, and you told them why you made them 12. How it should be. why you made them 11. How mm-hmm. it should be. And you be. went through it. And if you ended up, I think it was like three times, like in the bottom two or three. Then you went before the the board to essentially make your piece on why you should stay. Uh, and as a, as a lance corporal, like I I never ended up in the bottom. Uh, I got 
sounds like an oxymoron for infantry, but I got like uh, uh, series high GPA, like the score or whatever on it too. I was uh, on that side, of it, so I did I did pretty well. Uh, but uh, and I really appreciated the school. I really appreciated the, the leadership style of it uh, on that side of it. But it it was kind of at the the end of that, it was like my pinnacle. It was like, man, I made out of steel. I made out of iron. Uh, on that side of it is right at the very end of it is kind of what ended up leading me not to, you know, event, you know the big per, uh, purpose for not reenlisting in the Marine Corps uh, was kind of some of that toxic leadership in my own uh, unit back there. We had a, a first sergeant in my unit that wasn't, wasn't the greatest. I'll, I'll, I'll say yeah. uh, the army does it, I think better than the Marine Corps this way, because if you're in the infantry, you at least have a first sergeant that's combat arms. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. And the Marine Corps, uh, I never had a, anybody that was even, oh, they were, supply, I didn't know they were combo, that whole side of it. And so why I was at infantry, uh, infantry uh, squad leaders course. Man, there's going to be a little void of respect there, huh? A bit brutal. So don't get me wrong. My, the first arm we had on my second appointment, I love that guy. Like I would, I would go through a wall for him and I'll say his name, first arm Watson. He was yeah. just phenomenal. Um, you know, he, he was, uh, you know, what I envision as a perfect leader to be once I got to know him. That's what I felt about yeah. my first arm. Yep. I was like, man, I go, I go to any gates of anywhere to. Yep bang them yeah. down with them you know but first Sergeant watson was awesome but the, the first the first one i had from my first deployment when i got there that was still there uh was did not fit that mold uh and i, I remember i got a call from our company uh, police sergeant that uh on that weekend during one of those those order writing saying hey uh you got tagged to go to this dog and pony show up in newport beach uh you got to be here in your your charlies uh your dress charlies and and go up for it and i was like I'm not even with the battalion anymore, Sergeant. I'm at division schools. I'm like, well, first Sergeant says you got to go, and you're on the list. And I called uh, my squad leader at the time, uh, uh, a staff sergeant that had a good relationship with good leader, too, on that side of it, who came from that school as an instructor, told him the bit, and he's like, yep, I'll, I'll let him know, at least the way I remember it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll work it out. Don't worry. You're focused on the school. Legally, my orders were to the school, so I wasn't with my unit. Um, that got lost in translation somewhere. Uh, my squad leader at that time was going off to a staff school at the time too. So the message never made it to my first sergeant. So when we graduated a couple weeks later from school of infantry, the, the day before graduation, they cut you loose to go back to your unit, move your crap out of the schoolhouse barracks, get them into your unit barracks, check in with your chain of command, let them know what's going on. I checked on my platoon sergeant, you know, just kind of talking and, and doing whatever. And he's like, well, uh, when you get done selling room, uh, stop by my, my room. I got to talk to you for a little bit and stop by his room and, He's like, yeah, you got to sign your non-rec papers for promotion. I was like, for, for what? And he's like, well, you're, you know, UA from unauthorized absence from that event in Newport that first time. I was like, I, I, I checked, you know, what squad, like the whole thing, trying to miscommunication, whatever. So I let it go. Uh, go back to my unit. We did a mess night graduating that whole whole night on, on uh, the last night of the uh, infantry squad leaders course. And you do a mess night. We sit around, you drink, you, you get to rag on the instructors you get to talk to them like just fellow you know yep. marines that whole side of it play cards drink grill out that whole side of it and graduate the next day and i guess i wasn't my normal uh, jovial uh, self uh, on that side yeah of it. uh and my my uh squad instructor staff sergeant matt miller came from the army then to the marine corps uh you know say hey what's going on you know mac you're not you just don't seem right yeah. and however that exchange happened something seemed off and told him the kind of scenario, what's going on. And he's like, well, well, we'll get, you know, Gunny over here and we'll talk to you or whatever. Yeah. Pull outside and he's like, you tell him everything you just told me. It's told him. And they're like, well, when you go down to sign your, you know, non-rec uh, paperwork, essentially like an 
Article 15. Yeah. Uh, you request a court martial. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm like, I'm requesting, you know, yeah. essentially. I'm a trial. going to court. Take yeah. me to court. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so he, he's like, you know, laid it out legally as somebody who's been in the military for a while. You know, you're on orders at our school, your obligations to the schoolhouse. You know, not until we release you to your unit do, or you do belong to them. And he said, you know, we'll, we'll go to, you know, trial for you, whatever, whatever you need, that whole side. And if they ask, you know, who, you know, why you're asking for it, you tell them that your uh, senior leadership at School of Infantry advised <laughs> you to. And so, I, as a kid in this position, though, oh, dude, I'm yeah, I'm 20, worst, 20 this 21 is worst years old. Case scenario yeah. that you're gonna go tell one of your yeah. senior leaders, nah, court martial yeah, me, bring, bring me to trial, you know, yeah, take me to court, yeah, prove it, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, I you know, graduate, you know, uh, go back to the my unit. Nothing, just quiet, you know, for probably a week or two. Uh, and then uh, we get our first drop of boots, our replacements and everything on there too. And we're not picking up training yet because guys are in schools going anywhere. So we're just, you know, what do you do in the infantry when you're not on the range? You're grid squares in the sand outside and practicing, you know, how to read a map and call for fire with, you know, little green army men yeah. in the sand and physical, you know, fitness. That's about it. It's funny you guys train with army men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Marine Corps men is too hard to spell. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> Army's only four letters, <laughs> I think. Uh, uh, but uh, it was the one day we were outside, and I was literally going over, like, map reading or whatever with the guys, and my first sergeant came up to the barracks and was like, where in the fuck is, sorry, Jake, yeah. just, you know, Lance Corporal McLaughlin, and just, like, yelling at the barracks. I'm, like, standing outside, like, right here, first sergeant, you know, let's kind of raise my hands. Go over there, starts chewing me out in front of all my new guys, you know, calling me a POS. And wow. Yeah, just, and it's like, man, I, I've been with this guy for about a year and a half, and he doesn't, like, know or whatever. And, you know, get your ass down to my office, get paperwork, that whole side of it. Go down to his office, uh, do the whole thing. Uh, and just the same thing, POS, the rest of that, you think you can do whatever you want. And I was like, you know, first sergeant, all due respect, I just graduated infantry squad leaders course, went on a waiver because I'm holding a, a billet that, you know, was above my rank. I graduated, you know, and the, the honor side of it, like first class PFT expert. Yeah, rifle, what like, do you want out of me? And I just, you know, I didn't say it as cavalier as I'm saying now. There was a lot more doubt in my voice, I imagine, and probably fear, to be honest, yeah. just because I'm talking to a first sergeant and I know what I'm about ready to say. Hey, you know, give me a court martial. Could end your career. <laughs> yeah, well, it could end with me in prison, you know, potentially because you think I didn't know the military justice system. I didn't know how it went on. I'm you right. know, new to that whole side of it and still. Thank God I don't know a lot about it now, but you just think about the worst possibility. And so I get to it and I get to the point where I sign and I say, I can't sign that first sergeant. And, you know, thinks I'm being belligerent, you know, and uh, I said, I've, I've been told I need to request a court martial. And who the hell, you know, thinking that it's one of the corporals or sergeants. And then I rattle off the names from the guys at infantry squad leaders course that are, you know, a major that are going yeah. and And he, he just kind of went pie eyed, full beat red told me to get the F out of his office and then did. so no court I didn't hear anything about it but I remember that just left a bad taste in my mouth of yeah like, I just served with this guy for a year and a half you know you know I, who I am I, I'm you doesn't know who I am obviously you right. know uh, just, should know uh, who I am yes should uh and that for a, a leader for me that identified one is know your people uh know who you're serving with and you know don't don't throw out accusations for you know, people that you're not exactly sure on what you're accusing for, and then take care of your people too, just like my chain of command uh, did back at Infantry Squad Leaders Course. No, no, no offense, my my platoon commander was brand new uh, coming to the platoon. You know, so he was in the middle, didn't really know what was going on. Was 
you know, uh, is and was a, a great leader. My platoon commander was kind of hamstrung on this one too, because he wasn't in that communication with me and my squad leader at the time who was still gone at school while this was going on. Uh, so that, you know, it was just kind of like me to fend for myself. A couple of weeks later, you know, I get brought back down there again. Hey, recommendation is to drop all NJP, <laughs> Weird. that whole side of it. But I still got to sign my non-rec for lack of leadership and all that. So I got non-rec for, uh, uh, corporal. Take your money. Yeah. But you know, I still got the billet or whatever. So there is a th- term, uh, in the Marine Corps, senior Lance corporal. So I guess I was a senior Lance corporal without, you know, with a, with a team and not a, Did they take your money. No, so I didn't. I didn't. I didn't, awesome. I didn't lose yeah. rank. I didn't That's get. That's all put, you ever cared about. I didn't get right? put on restrictions. Yeah, it was rank just and money. Non-rec. It wasn't Article 15. It wasn't NJP. Right. It was just a not for promotion. <laughs> so, anyways, I know we're getting long-winded. I got probably about a half hour at most left. Um, but, um, so pick up the train cycle. We're getting boots in. You know this this deployment. Um, they pull a lot of people back up. We're starting to hear things heating back up in Iraq again. Afghanistan's starting to heat up in 05 here again. So you're talking fall of 05, early winter of 05, uh, October, November, December. Um, and so we're, we're doing, we do some traditional force on force training, uh, pick up with my platoon commander, uh, or platoon commander picks up with us who was a Mustang prior enlisted, uh, Lieutenant, uh, I'll say his name, Perger, too. Awesome, awesome guy, awesome leader. Yep. Uh, my platoon commander, Staff Sergeant Williams, uh, Ben Williams, awesome guy. We really gelled real good, had a good mix of our seniors. We had a lot of guys that were just, you know, show it, don't talk about it, uh, kind of a mentality uh, from all the other fellow team leaders to, to our guys. I mean, every, every platoon has their, you know, shit bags. There you go, Jake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, every platoon has, has lows, but for the most part, even our – even our, those guys weren't out to try to screw somebody over or, or you know, do something bad. They For just, real, you yeah. know, just their personality had our, our boots that were just like we were, we were dumb when you come in and <laughs> you learn that side of it. I mean, everybody is, I, I was dumb. Can't you know? help it. Yeah. I you just lost stupid mistakes. I said stupid things. <laughs> that's, that's what your seniors are there for is to help mentor, you know, and move you along. So we do the training cycle. We know we're flying over this time. Um, and so, uh, we were going to fly over around the same time. We were going to leave, I believe, Advon left, Advance Party left in December, and then the bulk of us left like the week after uh, New Year's again. Oh, wow. Uh, two and oh six in, oh, six. Ja- in January. So you're home for about a year and a half then? No, no. I got home, we got home in June of twenty or 2005, and then we left. Advon oh, started leaving. okay. So we have six to eight month deployments and six to eight month work workups. Got it. So it's a lot more rapid than the army but you guys are there for 15 months and then you do a year and a half in between so uh but so no we're flying over we're flying out of march air force base in california uh we're flying from west to east we flew to new york city uh jfk again didn't smoke uh but somebody started smoking cigarettes in jfk and it was a non-smoking airport <laughs> hell yeah get me a cigarette <laughs> let's fire, go yeah. fire it up you know how many times you'd be able to pull that off dude i remember the tsa coming around the corner too and there's like you know, 150 Marines there carrying M16, smoking cigarettes. Every just, one of them. Just kind of turn around and <laughs> yeah. walk away. Do, 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 do. Yeah. Somebody open the door. Um, to see here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we flew to Frankfurt, Germany, and then from Frankfurt uh, down to Kuwait. And then from Kuwait, some guys uh, convoyed up, and then some guys flew. I think we flew into uh, TQ, which would be kind of like the airfield in uh, Ambar, in like northwestern Ambar. I definitely want to fly and I drive. Yeah, uh, yeah, and then we uh, convoyed at dark uh, from uh, TQ through Fallujah to FOB Fallujah, which is just on like the southeast corner of the city of Fallujah. And so our area operations for that 
was uh, from like the eastern side of the city of Fallujah and then to like the suburbs on the east. Michigan and Mobile are the two MSRs that kind of connect on the east side of Fallujah. Uh, I, th- I think Michigan was the one that went just on the north side of Fab Fallujah, east and west. Uh, and then all the way to the east, the the suburbs of Fallujah, the Shahabis, uh, Karma is a city. And this is after that, the last surge or the yeah. second round? So, so what happened the second round of the push through Fallujah, uh, they pushed through and pretty much demolished a lot of it and then pulled out. And then they just started pulling units back home. So 2-2, 2nd Battalion, 2nd Marines was the battalion re replaced and they started just catching the pendulum swinging back of units getting pulled out in an area of operations that used to have a couple battalions i think now we have like two uh insurgency uh, heated up i think they had in their battalion again it's not not gospel but i think they had you know high teens to low 20s of kias uh in a battalion size which for our war is a pretty good substantial uh, kia uh, killed in action a decent amount of guys wounded and then the city of Karma, which is, I think, population-wise, close to, you know, Rochester, close to 100,000 or 90,000, I think is what it was. And all the way to the east, just at that time, short of Abu Ghraib, uh, which everybody knows from the notorious, mm-hmm. you know, bad bad stuff with uh, service members earlier. That was 2004, too. Yeah. Uh, so we hit the ground running, uh, did a right seat, left seat. I was a team leader, so I went out with 2-2. Uh, with the squad leaders uh, and the platoon sergeant, platoon commander, you know, just shut my mouth and listened again because it's again their area operations. Uh, we're taking it over for the full deployment. That side of it, uh, and really, we had trained on IEDs and we talked about it and we, you know, we'd done remedial action for it. But really, listening to those guys and the prevalence of IEDs that were coming out in 05 and in 06, and then there was these things called the shapes. Uh, yeah, well, pressure charges and the shape shape charge, and then they were even hooking up like rockets to IEDs and pressure charges. So they would aim rockets at you know an area, and then somebody would connect the circuit and the shoot out, and, and then even mortars, you know, just their ability to do that side of it, and then just disappear. Uh, so like you're, you're getting a crash course and what the enemy is actually doing. And I just remember it's like trying to drink from a fire hose on that point. Uh, and you know, to be honest, we, even with all that training, a lot of doubt comes in and a lot of like, Oh shit, you know, here we go again. Oh, well, it's a lot different this time around. You're in charge of people and yeah. their lives and, and you have to get these guys home. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we, uh, stressing me out just sitting here talking. About yeah. <laughs> right. And we, you know, we, uh, we broke down to, we had, uh, outpost operations, so we'd have platoon company size outposts. Uh, Bravo Company in our battalion took over a police station in the city of, of Karma and had a company outpost. I think they had two platoons there at all times that were punching out. We had yeah. o- OP Raider. Um, Alpha Company had an outpost out there. Charlie Company did too. And then uh, we we formed essentially mobile assault platoons, which we got six gun trucks and we had uh, infantry dismount. And then we had essentially our own built-in QRF, but for everybody else with Mark 19s and 50s on there. So, so yeah, if we if we couldn't, you know, find a building when we were out in town or if we weren't out the outpost, we'd just essentially circle the wagons. Uh, <laughs> we could shoot it from here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you literally just – so our, our op tempo took up right out from the start is, you know, it's essentially – and it flexed depending on what's going on. You would – you would do three to four days outside the fob, you know, outside the wire doing patrolling and combat operations and presence patrols uh, out in the city uh, and out in town, um, knowing the population, looking for weapons caches, trying to get engaged, trying to attack, you know, trying to catch them in the act of bearing IEDs. Yep. Um, where when you're out there, you're on 24 hours a day, you know, you're not 
uh, in a compound, you're in a, a house, you're sleeping Exposed. in Humvees. Yeah. yeah. And, and from, uh, you know, if we were in a house uh, for a while or if we were in our circle of the wagons, you'd punch out uh, patrols from there at night to go watch places we get attacked for them. And yeah, you got to keep guys moving around around outside so you don't have everybody setting up on you. Yep. Yep. So constantly, constantly moving, being active, you know, being a, being a, uh, a, a static non-moving target's not a good idea. You can't stop yeah. moving. You're going to kill them. Yep. So set up on that operations real hard, uh, uh, pretty quickly. Um, and then in February, uh, I mean, you know, we had gotten little firefights and we got an IED and the base, the big fob got mortared. I mean, any, when you talk about a fob, you're literally talking like a city. So yeah. it would be like if somebody lobbed a mortar into Eagle Lake, you know, a city size, yeah. um, you know, at times it was, it was worse there, but, uh, for the most part, uh, you know, everyone was unscathed, you know, after that first month of getting out of there. Um, and then we, our, our company took our, our first serious casualty and we had guys get, you know, uh, flesh wounds and nicked and, you know, jarred from IEDs and frag and stuff like that in the company. Uh, our, our platoon hadn't taken any casualties or anything at that point, which we were very grateful for. Uh, and then I think it was, I think it was second platoon. Um, I can't remember it. Uh, we were fourth platoon. Uh, I think it was second platoon that they came out to rip with us uh, while we were out. So r- relief in place. Yep. When a patrolling element comes out of the field for the infantry to ensure there's not a void so the enemy can just kind of sneak in and start setting up is like one come, you know, two ships pass in the night, one's coming out and one's going in. Yep. Uh, and so I believe a second platoon, uh, their, their platoon sergeant, we literally just did a, a rip, you know, over the radio and they got a little bit ways down the road uh, nighttime and he got out um thought they saw something i don't i don't know why they stopped you know i I wasn't there at the after action um but he either stepped on or uh booted uh an ied one of the two and uh for whatever reason the tamping or however it went uh it blew up not at him i believe because it just took off the whole front of his foot and went up that way and then all of a sudden you know we're you know 200 meters away and then just shit opened up and tracers started going everywhere and course you know they're 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 shooting and they're not communicating so we can't move on anybody so that was one of my first you know exposures of like hey having somebody man the radio uh it's not as sexy as <laughs> you know actually shoot in some direction but communicating right. because we could have gotten the fight and helped out a lot more on there uh they that they, they broke contact and uh, we just hold firm because literally their tracers and everything were coming yeah, you're like our, our direction. Yeah, we uh, can help you if you tell us what's yeah, going on. <laughs> you don't want to go in there and have blue on blue and get shot or whatever. Uh, and again, being a full disclosure, being a you know a fire team leader, that's not my call. You know, that's right. my platoon commander, my my platoon sergeant. So they're, I, I imagine that's what they're going. Yeah, through. you don't make orders; you follow. Yes, yeah. I I have my four guys, and I'm part of a, a bigger living unit, and that's on their call. But I, you know, you rationalize and understand the training. That's what I imagine was going through their heads. Uh, Enemy breaks contact, the uh, fight's over, and then it's like, well, we're ground Kazavak and uh, him because we can get him to Fallujah Surgical quicker than they can get a helo in here. Uh, and so we're, we're part of the ground uh, combat, that whole side, of our ground evac, uh, evac him to Fallujah. And um, that, that staff sergeant, another side story, uh, I ran into him uh, about 14 years later out in Washington, D.C., he works for Arlington National Cemetery, and really? I was at a veteran's thing, and somebody introduced like, hey, you know, uh, McLaughlin here is Marino introduced you to a fellow jarhead and I was You look familiar. And he was wearing a cane, you know, talking about how he lost his foot. I was like, Staff Sergeant? I think his name is Jacobs, I think. Maybe I'm getting it wrong, but I said, I said his name. I remembered it at the time. Staff Sergeant Jacobs, I think is his name. I think it was Jacoby, one of the two. But anyways, and I was like, are you, 
one one second platoon or yeah and i was like yeah fuck out man I was, uh, <laughs> sorry jake i was uh i was a uh, fourth platoon and we you know we medevaced and I, was like, I haven't seen you since you know that night and they high back humvee we were rolling around they medevaced him out on uh but so i got to chat with him for a while in dc so it was pretty cool but so anyways i mean we got got through that and we we got you know our our exposure we we were we were kind of like uh, high school kids uh, partying, I would call it, um, that when the cops show up and everyone gets away and nobody yeah. gets caught. And it's the like coolest thing because everyone's right. talking about the next day. It's like, yeah, dumb cops. Like, yeah, yeah what dumb. You know, we, we got away with the whole thing because none of our guys ever got seriously hurt. Uh, you know, IEDs, for the most part, we were lucky. Again, guys were just getting their bell rung, maybe some you know, little frag or anything. And uh, any of the, the firefights that did happen uh, were, you know, such shitty shots that it was – Nobody got shot. Right. We were just lucky. Um, and uh, then uh, I believe it was the Golden Mosque up in Mosul uh, got blown up, uh, Mosul, Iraq, uh, and sectarian uh, infighting and violence broke out up there. They pulled the army unit out of Abu Ghraib that was part of 10th Mountain, sent them up north to reinforce it. And so they needed a patrolling element out of Fab Abu Ghraib to cover down in April, March of uh, 06. And so they took uh, two weapons platoons or the mobile assault platoons from our battalion, one infantry company, Charlie Company, and then they took Kilo Company uh, from 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines, which would have been, like, south of Abu Ghraib working. And they kind of made us a hodgepodge unit to fill in that void. We all fell under Army Chain of Command under 10th Mountain Division. Lucky. Yeah, yeah, I got <laughs> it on my deployment coin, uh, 110. Uh, and then... Uh, when we got there, my platoon got assigned to Kilo Company, so not only we're not under our battalion, uh, we're under a whole different company now with Kilo 3-5. I went to infantry squad leader school with a couple of guys in 3-5, which was pretty cool, so I had a connection yeah. there. And then we proceeded to do patrol base operations in that area, pretty heavy, just uh, taking over patrol base operations. Uh, you would do a stint at the power station to keep the insurgents from blowing that up and shutting it down to keep power up and moving. Uh, but did a lot more than the, because we were so short, uh, staffed, uh, three days, I think, I mean, we did, uh, I want to say nine days, uh, continuous, uh, out there, you know, sleeping out, living out in, in town and always, always under threat or always on guard, but you know, yeah, you kind of get used to it. That's pretty much was your last objectives then I guess were in that deployment. Uh, no, that's just kind of thick of it. Um, so on the West side of Abu Ghraib, there's a place called Kandari market. Um, and we started, uh, Charlie Company started tangling some ass in there. Uh, sorry, Jake. Uh, started tangling uh, in there a little bit uh, with some snipers. Um, and our scout sniper team started tangling a little bit. Uh, Charlie Company, I I believe, like April 8th or 9th, took their first KIA uh, from a sniper in there. Um, and then back in Fallujah, uh, you know, I, every, every other company's a little hazy to me, but I I think uh, Bravo Company uh, lost a, a couple guys in there, too. And so things started becoming more real. We're starting to take KIAs. Uh, we're starting to take casualties. There's starting to be more fights. There's starting to be IEDs, like blatant IEDs, too. Like, you get outside the gate of Abu Ghraib, and you're 100 meters away, and there's an IED there. Like, how in the hell are they getting, right. they're getting this in here? Um, and so things are heating up uh, there in spring of 06, you know, coming out of winter, the rainy season. Things are, you know, um, good fighting season, I guess. Uh, and then August, uh, August, April 12th, um, uh, Mark, uh, glimpse, um, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, local from Southern California used to stay with his, his parents when we had, um, 
you know, Weekend Liberty, still talk with his, his dad, uh, meet him every year almost, uh, got killed in our platoon. Uh, I, I was actually, uh, every now and then you have like admin stand down, you leave a guy behind or whatever. I wasn't on that, uh, patrol, which actually screwed with me a hell of a lot more. Um, I was, uh, back when they were out and, you know, the summarize the, the whole thing, they were, uh, got a call to do a snap, Hey, holding position, blocking position. They were getting out, uh, ready to do it and pretty much got out right on IED ambush and, uh, Mark got killed. Um, Resendez, another guy with him from our platoon, got wounded. Uh, but that, I mean, Mark was one of my best friends in the platoon. Uh, again, knew his family, drank with him. He had terrible sense of humor like I did, too, and was close. Um, my my company got me back to my platoon that day. Uh, we had another guy that was uh, training uh, Iraqi uh, National Guard, uh, uh, Scott uh, Montgomery, that had no idea what went on. So the platoon that was escorting me out to get me back to my platoon and back out in the field uh let me and monty have time together uh, when i picked him up because he, he literally he was just training guys had no idea so i got to tell him you know that mark was killed um that day and then got back to the unit uh they were still in abu Ghraib, and mark was still in the the morgue there and so i got to be with my platoon and we we got him out of the morgue and got him essentially back uh out east and got him home and on a plane to get going. So we got to see him. Did you get to bring him home? Uh, not all the way home. We got to at least see him all over the country. Yeah. Um, you know, at, at that point. And then uh, they really, Marine Corps, Army Standard, you get hit, send him back out right away because uh, yeah. you want to sit around and think about it, which is a blessing, you know, and a curse. At the um, time, it feels horrible. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, I mean, we, we went back out to those operations. You know, our, we really stepped up. Uh, our battalion commander kind of stepped in on uh, the area, Kandari Market. They burned the whole thing off, the grove, the palm groves and stuff for that IED uh, and everything, uh, and a lot of small arms fire and stuff was coming around Mark's thing. Engineers came in, and we clear-cut that whole thing to the ground, like, you're going to use this for base or operations, and we're just going to take it away from you, you know. And it sucks because the local population, we're fighting insurgency. That's not them doing it. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, essentially, I think the U.S. military commanders were saying you got a choice. You know, we're not going to come in and, cut your kids heads heads off at night but if you're let these people attack us from your right. groves your buildings whatever i mean and there's going to be some sort of recourse for it so so we did those those operations um you know there was a, a big ied cell in the area uh, chasing those down still doing uh that kind of uh hunter ied uh, type thing ended up getting called back uh to fallujah um and i can't remember who relieved us it was an army unit uh, coming in country uh, go back to Fallujah, go back to uh, eastern side of Fallujah, Fa Fallujah, uh, the Shahabis and Karma, that area. Karma, pretty heavy. Doing combat operations again, a uh, lot of patrol operations. Um, at this this point, I, uh, I I think I took the squad at this point. I was a squad leader uh, at that point. Um, we had a couple other guys have issues back home with family, serious illness and stuff that left. And so we went... Uh, from when we started deployment, we had uh, three staff sergeants. One one was a platoon sergeant, and two were squad leaders and a sergeant. Uh, to having uh, one staff sergeant, our platoon sergeant, uh, one sergeant, and then no other NCOs. So we had a staff sergeant and a sergeant wow. for our platoon. Uh, and I got a squad. I'm still, right. I think, yeah, I was still Lance Corporal at that time. Uh, me and another guy were kind of splitting a, a squad or taking over squad uh, duties. 
Um, and then I got uh, promoted to NCO um, corporal at that point. And so whatever, I was doing the job at that point too. Uh, and then uh, June uh, 20th uh, happened uh, of 2006. We were north of uh, Karma. Uh, again, I think we were on like a three or four day patrol uh, just doing, we had an intelligence guy with us. I know military intelligence sounds like an oxymoron, <laughs> you know, kind of like jumbo shrimp. Uh, but, um, you know, we were, we were doing our, our regular patrol and we had the Intel guy with us who was talking to a lot more people trying to get, get stuff out of them. Um, and I had the last, my squad had the last patrol, uh, of, of the, the evolution and it was the zero dark 30 to sunrise. We hit a market, talked to a lot of the senior, you know, adult males in there, our intelligent guy, our intelligence guy and the interpreter. Uh, and then we met on the backside of a, a market, a, a restaurant um, that morning. And I remember it was kind of the leaders and the squad leaders, platoon commander and the intelligent guy, intelligence guy, uh, Andy, that's just what he went by. And Discussion was, well, we can go north uh, across the river uh, or we can go west because he still was going to stay out there with the next platoon that was coming in to relieve us. And the thought was, and at least my perspective, maybe one of, one of my guys might remember it differently, but uh, the thought was, is, well, we'll go north across the river so that way uh, when whatever platoon was coming out to relieve us, we can just come across the river to the south. They'll pick us up. You guys can go back to the east and we'll go west. You know, We'll go back yeah. to the fob and they'll keep charging on. Um, and when we were, we were doing this, there were still people all around the area. They were still all over the place. Um, and I remember, you know, we were pretty jovial. We were getting, you know, month and month and a half month out from the end of deployment. Yeah. We've been out there for a while. Pretty confident. Yeah. Oh, probably maybe overconfident. Um, and, uh, I was Victor for six vehicles, uh, and, I think it was checkpoint five seven or five five. I can't remember what it was, but you call on the checkpoint yep. across it. So we load up, and I don't remember why I didn't think anything, but like people just kind of started disappearing, but not blatantly. And usually when people just disappear, it's a it's bad on. sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it was just kind of a, a trickle, you know, as I reflect on it. Um, and you know, Victor one call the checkpoint two, three, four, me five, uh, and then just allowed. Uh, boom, uh, and no six, you know, no six, and the last one in, um, and so we're you know on a bridge over a river or a canal going to the north. On the other side, there's bigger than berms of dike, so you know everything is kind of obscured from once you clear clear through it. Everyone's calling Victor Six or platoon commander is you know nothing comes up, um, and so turn around. You know, my squad was still rocked from the, or, you know, ready to rock from the patrol. Uh, my guys punched out. My teams got up on the berms, got elevated positions to see what was going on. There's literally debris and shit falling down from the Humvee. Uh, I think the engine block from the thing was about 200, uh, 200 feet to the north uh, from the vehicle. Uh, Big one. Yeah, so I actually reached out to my platoon commander because uh, I still stay in touch with uh, him and then one of the other squad leaders, uh, too, and... Um, because, you know, it's been 16 years now, so it's a little hazy, and the whole day is a little hazy. It's been a minute. Yeah, yeah uh, but uh, it was somewhere between four and five 155s. Uh, yeah. They drove over there in direct tip. Uh, so Staff Sergeant Williams, uh, Ben Williams, uh, was killed. Um, 
uh, probably first class, Christopher White, uh, was in the, the turret ring. Uh, the gunner was killed. Uh, Brandon Webb, uh, last couple, Brandon Webb was killed. Uh, Andy, uh, the intelligence guy, was, was in there too, was uh, blasted out, and he was alive. Uh, and Monty Montgomery, the guy that we picked up when we went to uh, go reunite after Mark, um, was blowing out the door and still alive too. They both mega. Yeah, I th- we, most of us thought Andy was dead, um, and we didn't think he made it. You know, he made he was alive when he left the scene when we got up there and, and helped uh, provide aid uh, to him. And our, our corpsman uh, Doc uh, Doc Clark and Knock were I mean just phenomenal. Uh, Doc uh, Knock was experienced. Uh, Doc Clark was new as deployment, but he, I mean, he did everything he needed to do and was, was awesome. Those guys, you know, they're the reason those two guys are probably here is because of them. Uh, and then us that could help, uh, were helping. I was, I was one of them, um, on scene helping too. Uh, but Monty, uh, was probably the least hurt, uh, out of the, the crew. Uh, but I think his eardrums were blown. He had frag in his face and his bicep and I think in his leg too. And so they're essentially, I was just like, okay, let's get him away from the site. Let's get him to one of our trucks, like the, you know, triage and docs, yeah. docs are working on the guys that are still fighting through it, that we're still, still alive at the time, uh, working on Andy and, and staff sergeant. And, um, I brought Monty. I mean, he, he's just yelling like, hey, let's go. Like, doesn't know what the hell happened. Yeah. And I was like, Hey man, you made it. You know, you lived through Concussion, and, yeah. and he's like, sorry, Jake. He's like, yeah, I fucking made it. Fuck you. You know, it's just, you know, screaming out, you know, at the insurgents, you know, just screaming it out, uh, to wherever. And so I got him back to my truck, which was a high back Humvee, which we used for our ground Kazavac. And, uh, Armando uh, was my driver and I was like, just stay with him and don't let him go don't in shock. Move, yeah. yeah. And, you know, our, our platoon commander, or I believe somebody was calling in uh, the medevac uh, to come in at that point too. Uh, unfortunately, staff sergeant didn't make it. Um, Chris and and uh, Brandon uh, didn't make it uh, either. We thought Andy died somewhere along the way, but uh, D, a guy I served with, uh, uh, reconnected with him years later. Found he's alive. I think he's got kids. Um, I think he's. I think he might be uh, paralyzed from the waist down. I've never talked sure. to him or met him, but the good news is he's alive, he's alive. Yeah, and Monty's uh, still alive too. Uh, so we did. I mean, that was that was a big one. I mean, we had three KIA uh, in our platoon, so we were up to four. Which, you know, again, it's it's not not something you you want, uh, but it's. I mean, that's a a pretty for today's conventional forces. That's a, a pretty high for a platoon size for yeah. for KIA. Um, and, you know, every one of those guys, um, Staff Sergeant was my platoon sergeant, uh, Staff Sergeant Williams. Um, Webb was one of my first boots. Uh, White was, I mean, a, a, a good kid from Missouri. It was hunt, a good hunter, good, respectful. He was already talking about being a lifer. Um, you know, I, I knew, knew them all. I trained with them. You know, two of them felt like little brothers. One felt like my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I had already lost. Uh, Mark, we had already lost. It's not just me. It's our whole platoon. Um, and so, but then what do you do, right? Like they, we came back in. You'll find the guys that did. Yeah, we we asked, we, we got to bring our guys back in, the ones that, you know, uh, didn't make it. Uh, so we got to escort them again too. Uh, we got to do that side of it. Uh, and then they sent us back out right again. And things kept heating up through the summer of, of 06 because of. And that's just how things escalate. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, gets worse, gets out of hand. Oh, dude. And then, um it was, I, I think, eight days later, nine days later. So now there's two corporals, myself included in the platoon, and one sergeant. We don't have a 
you yeah. know, a staff sergeant. Our sergeant was the platoon sergeant, and then yeah. it just filled in. So we got two corporals, so two E4s and an E5, our, our NCOs for the platoon. Uh, and then I, I think it was June 20th around there, uh, Sergeant Haley, our, our one sergeant, uh, got shot in the chest. Uh, we were, uh, took small arms fire uh, up around the same area too, uh, or getting out to Jeez. go through it. Uh, and he took a, a round, thankfully hit him in the sappy, right. but pretty much dropped him. Yeah, you know? break your sternum. And he, yep, and all the frag went out into his shoulder and everything yep. else too. And he was a, the storm up uh, vet uh, from the invasion sure. of in Iraq, and he went up in an Amtrak, and that's where I know they they're big RPG magnets because he got like two of them blowing out sure. underneath him. So by the time we got we rotated out of the field, out of that out of that episode, out of that little fight, and then came back, and then like our medics are like, yeah, something ain't right about him. Uh, and it was, and I'm I'm making this number up because I don't know, but it was something stupid like his 13th concussion. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and like he was just scrambled <laughs> eggs, and they're like, yeah, you're not going back out. It'd take a minute. So then for about a week, you know, going into end of June, we had two corporals or the NCOs. And then all my team leaders, you know, my, my buddy Ryan, Kenny, uh, Scott, you know, a lot of those guys uh, were all, all in my buddy Adam. And you guys weren't cherries bit. either, though. No, no. And, and so they were all, we call senior lance corporals. And so yeah. it's not like just two corporals were running. Like, is that <laughs> Got promoted yesterday and, and, and in charge yeah, tomorrow. It, it was a family. Like everyone was running it. Uh, running the, the crew and, and helping each other out. And Everybody kind of knows why their jobs are by that point yep. and everything. And, and eventually we got uh, some combat replacements. Uh, we got two uh, two guys, the lower enlisted, and then we got a staff sergeant who wasn't that good. Um, and, and it just didn't mold well. And I, and I think our platoon commander still kind of deferred to the corporals over the staff sergeant. Yeah. Just when did you come home then? Um, we came home in August, I think. Yeah. Did you have an awesome... Right home then too, or how'd you get home? We flew, yeah. Flew we flew, flew to Frankfurt, um, drank a few beers there, flew to JFK, and then flew to Camp Pendleton, and then uh, Luke and another buddy of mine and my my then fiance uh, met us on the parade deck when we got back home. Super so, cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So sorry, I went on a little bit of tangent there. It's for all right. Bit. That's that's uh, you know it's part of the story. We got to hear yeah, it all. Yeah, but uh, we literally probably got like. 15 more minutes left and then I really have to go. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, so you had to leave at five. Yeah, I know. We're past no, uh, five thirty. But, but no man, like all, did you, like, did you get out shortly then after that? Uh, no, I was in for about a year. I went to division schools and that's where I was, uh, got tagged. They were taking NCOs that had, uh, at least two deployments under their belts that weren't deploying or you could reenlist for it at that time too. Uh, shortly after that, I, shortly after I got there, they stopped uh, letting people go there unless it was a, a reenlistment just because the surge started picking up and they needed bodies oh, to gosh, go. Yeah. And then the, then they stopped letting people reenlist to go there because they needed bodies. Um, and that, that school was awesome. I was around other corporals and sergeants, a couple guys from my battalion. Uh, Kenny and D went there too with me, or my, my platoon. Uh, so I knew two guys that were that I served with, I deployed with twice that were in the schoolhouse. And Instructing, uh, you know, uh, convoy security, uh, urban warfare, uh, call for fire, a lot of that stuff. It kind of each division has like an advanced uh, school where they just do a refresher course for everybody, more in the fleet environment. So we got to teach. That's actually what helped me with a lot of my my college and my my uh, career afterwards. Is because any course you taught, you had to teach to a group full of sergeants right. and corporals, and they was like. You know, try try and say that again, but don't be so stupid when you say it. You know, like that was just literally <laughs> right. Their uh, advice. I like what, what was that stupid stuff you were doing with your hands? Yeah, and they're not saying stupid. I'm just trying to give Jacob a break right, over. Yeah, it. yeah his pants uh, wore up. Yeah, you know. Uh, 
Uh, you know. So, what was your transition out of the military like? Uh, I put in for a three week early release so I could catch spring semester at MSU because I was originally supposed to get out like January 11th or yeah. 12th of 08. And so I put in for a three week early release plus my terminal so I could make spring semester at MSU because sure. back then they didn't have, um, they didn't have a waiver for transitioning military. You had to be, if you're a new student on, on campus time. for orientation and yep. all that stuff too. So, uh, they signed it. The day I was supposed to get out, they signed my approval uh, letter. Nice. And the only reason I got signed is because I was at division schools and division <laughs> headquarters. If I was in my battalion, I would have been screwed. Um, and so my wife was already back home. I got so, married in no. division schools. So I, I literally, uh, F1 or F-150, uh, Ford Ranger, I loaded up with a flat screen TV, a shotgun, and some duffel bag full of clothes and drove across country straight to the night. Came home to the house that we had bought, which was my grandparents, uh, that was up for sale, bought it from the family. And I had like three buddies sitting in my living room waiting for me when I came home and had a couple of beers. And now what? Probably, yeah, <laughs> yeah probably, really. I went home, went to sleep. Uh, so, I, you know, I think having a mission and having a plan uh, right away uh, was really uh, good uh, because it didn't give me a chance to uh, fall into any like bad spots. Not that it didn't come with its its bumps in the road not that it didn't come with its yeah uh hiccups uh but i went from military to okay school's my job school's my profession this is what i'm gonna do i'm task orientated i'm gonna use my benefit i didn't really want to go to school my wife really wanted to go to school but i got a free benefit so i'm not gonna waste it so she can go to school yep. and so i charged uh through college and so i reconnected with luke and uh, uh jesse and our buddy of our jason that was uh, yep. pretty severely wounded that was back home and uh, we got treated pretty well uh back home uh, from the people around town, a lot of the bar owners downtown that didn't uh, serve. Anytime we came down there, more or less comped our drinks, you know, which was really awesome. It you know, probably wasn't good for my liver, um, you know. Uh, it, but we really had that bond. Tony uh, was back home recruiting in the army at the time, so another kid we graduated with. Yep. Jason's brother was back home. And what year is this about? So '08. Uh, yeah, so I was yeah, just getting ready to go. '09 in that that time frame. And so we really had a good group of guys that were all you know combat vets that had all just come home. Uh, together that all knew each other before so we really leaned on each other made our mistakes together uh to but for the most part uh kind of got our, ourselves through some of that darker transition uh period um got got through uh school um when i was going through it, another guy that i met at msu through the vets club there got involved with that they started a new vets club at msu they had one that kind of went away in the 70s uh and then they I got brought back with kind of our cohort um, a, a guy, a guy uh, that was a buddy of mine that was in the army, uh, didn't make it out uh, through his dark period. He ended up, uh, yeah. you know, succumbing uh, and, and uh, passing away. That was a hard time. Yeah, um, and I think you might have yeah, crossed him real well too. Yeah, real good friends. Won't get into that, but um, so, but helping him during his his uh, time and watching his struggles uh, kind of got me on some of the veteran advocacy uh, side of it. Wasn't really involved, you know. I was members of all, but I wasn't really involved in the legions or VFWs besides showing up to meeting. But really, uh, trying to find ways to cover down on guys individually with a group uh, and identify guys and kind of pick them up, show them ropes to the VA, or you know, get them some of the private care stuff that was out there. It really, it wasn't just me. It was you know, kind of all of us. And that was kind of my first exposure to it. And then <clears throat> I, I first got a job at the DNR. Uh, ended up moving on to the private sector for a local mining company here. I did that for a while on the company side. Uh, and this whole time I was, you know, still kind of doing some of that advocacy work um, and just walked into 
the right bar was the VFW and the congressman then was looking at doing something with the GI Bill and updating it to what's now the post-9-11 GI Bill. And he was on the House Veteran Affairs Committee at the time. And so I just kind of perked up me and another guy that I went to school with, uh, Luke again, um, and told him our things. And so we kind of got, you know, right place, right time, brought along to get our input in and help uh, shape and help mold some of that post-9-11 GI Bill and the policy that came through <laughs> it. Um, at this point, I'm working at uh, the mining company, uh, and uh, I get called uh, from that congressman. I was like, hey, you know, for your your work, you know, helping us out, I'd like you to come to the State of the Union. Uh, Super with me. cool. Yeah, it's my nice. guest. Yeah. Which is. And where do you went? Yeah. Uh, so Obama was the president at the time, and I, I didn't know until I got there, but it's like the Super Bowl out in D.C. for them. You know, they right. all, all pomp and circumstance. And I actually. You didn't know it was a party or you didn't know Obama was president? No. Yeah, <laughs> probably either. Well, and, and that would that would probably be about the only thing like that. That was for me mentally uh, during that election cycle. And it wasn't anything President Obama necessarily did uh, or, you know, candidate McCain did. But the, the discourse in the media was around Iraq, wrong war, wrong war, yeah. wrong war, wrong war, right. wrong war. And me, you know, being, you know, 25, 26 at that time, that's like, man, that, like, I just I just, lost, well. I just lost four guys in something that's a, a wrong war. Uh, and you guys are sitting here putting banners up about arguing about it. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, don't don't get me wrong. It's it's nothing near, you know, as bad as it could be with like the Vietnam guys, but that that period was a little uh, raw for me. Uh, but then, you know, going out there uh, to D.C. for the State of the Union, you know, coming literally out of my steel toe boots and everything at the mining uh, company, and then literally I'm hanging out and Nancy Pelosi, the speaker, uh, speaker of the house, is like sweet before the State of the Union, and there's dudes walking around ten thousand dollars suits, and it's like so. I, I was like Forrest Gump almost. Like, I can just keep drinking these Dr. Pepper. Is there a limit on these? Yeah. Uh, so I did that, and I got to see the whole speech, and all that was real cool. Uh, came back in Minnesota, uh, and then uh, Luke, that friend of ours, uh, was working for that uh, VA contracted organization that does the the homeless response for the lower 37 counties, and said, hey, there's this job. You know, it's open, and it's probably going to be the last opportunity to have to get one. We're probably not going to have another one open. Um, and uh, talked to my wife, who was just graduating high school, or high school. <laughs> Well done. Yeah, 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 yeah. Freudian slip there. I uh, was just graduating college, and it was so my, my income at the mining company wasn't a dream job, but it allowed, us to, allowed me to provide for my family. My wife was going to school, sure. not get loaded with debt. Um, and I didn't have any student loans. And so my wife, you know, when I talked to her about it, and I told her what the pay is, and it was you know, damn near half, if not 40% of what I was right. getting. You don't get paid much for a nonprofit, uh, right. so I've learned. Doing it because uh, you, you genuinely love it and you want to help the people that you can impact every single day. And this was somewhere, impact people's lives that you genuinely care about every single day. And it was an opportunity that you yeah. couldn't pass up if this mm -hmm. is where your heart wanted you to be, you know? Yeah, man. And, um, you know, my, I'll give my wife 100% credit on this because um, you know, we sat down and talked about it and it was the money thing. And, you know, Mag had kind of lined out, you know, the 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 GI Bill thing, the uh, some of the testimony stuff on the state side of things with the veterans preference uh, stuff yeah. uh, for the state of, uh, with Representative Cornish and yep. uh, Sharon that we worked with on that, and then um, you know some of the stuff with our buddies that had a hard time and didn't make it, uh, right. you know, and, and she's like, you're you're doing this stuff for free, and now you have an opportunity to do it for a job, isn't that kind mm -hmm. of the bit, you know, isn't that something? Everybody yeah. wants to find is something. you're going to do what you can continue to do, but now somebody's going to pay you. Yeah, to do it. and try yeah. to find a career. And so I, 
that's like you know uh, hopefully she's listening to this so the she, way you she put hears it, yeah. that i'm giving her credit for she was absolutely right and so i took took the gig uh started off as the only outreach worker for 37 counties which pretty much turned into like a deployment for me always on the road always had to be in those other counties on the on the other ao um you know, come in Monday, figure out my plan for the week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, on the road, sometimes Fridays on the road. You guys we- would kill it. Weekends on the road, yep. yeah, uh, on that side of it. Um, moved up to, at least somebody saw something in me to where I, I kind of got put in charge of outreach and then got another outreach worker, uh, another two of them. Uh, and eventually I moved on to being the regional manager for that, um, or outreach regional manager, whatever they call yeah. it at the time, uh, for the lower 37 counties. And then the position came open in my home county, my hometown, which is the county seat. Um, and it was a no-brainer for me to put my hat in that ring since I don't have to travel as much. But instead of just uh, helping a certain subsection of veterans, I get to help all veterans then too. And you had a pretty good general understanding of veterans' oh, yeah. benefits better than most, honestly, Mike. You know, I think you're kind of underselling yourself. But uh, you've, you've, uh, you've taken veterans' Um, lives in a general whole, you know, I mean, any aspect of a veteran's life that would have anything to do with benefits or any aspect of any kind of, uh, there's, as far as I know, there's nobody that really knows or, or understands it or is willing to learn it more than you, you know, and, uh, you're definitely an incredible asset to our community and to all veterans in the area. And I think, not only do you help all these veterans, but the people that are helping veterans now have a different standard that they have to hold themselves to. You know, it's not like, well, they ain't doing that over at Blue Earth County either. They're not doing that over. You know, it's if 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 if, if it can be done, it needs to be done. You know, it's your office does it, and and uh, the way that you treat uh, all of us, and and uh, you know, knowing that we have you in our corner, looking over everything that's getting passed, and. That's going through is incredibly comforting for us too, because if uh, if Mike's not cool with it, I'm not cool with it either. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. yeah, I mean, oh, I appreciate that, man. Because um, I know, I mean, you've been hooking and jabbing on a lot of the policy stuff uh, too. Yeah. Whenever you had the opportunity, um, but I got a great staff. I got a great uh, board. We have a great community. You hit on it in your episode too. Uh, we got a great community that really is supportive of it. Um, really. That's the one thing that's it's always been just like the military for me when it comes to the veteran and the post-military is that um, it doesn't matter, you know, what your religion is. It doesn't matter what your political affiliation is. It doesn't matter, you know, green, purple, brown, whatever. You know, you're, you're a veteran. You serve this country. You, you uh, raised your right hand, swore the oath just like uh, they've been doing for, you know, centuries now. Uh, you know, we, we owe it to not care about all that other stuff and just focus on how can we take care of you the best, you know, we possibly can. And I, I don't actually deliver any of the care. You know, I'm just there essentially as their rep and their Thankfully. along the way. Yeah. You don't want me cutting on you. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, you know, I got into that bit and it's been seven years now uh, and just digging it. I had the opportunity from that uh, again, right place, right time. Um, one of the other uh, guys that ran an office in Minnesota was on the national board, and was in line to become president. And he's like, hey, you should be the, uh, the national legislative uh, director. I was like, the what? And he's like, yeah, the national. <laughs> and I was like, dude, but I've been a CVSO. I've been, you know, doing this gig for like a year. And he's like, yeah, but, you know, I, I think you, you'll be. You're ready. You'll do well at it. So for six years now, I've been doing that, um, which has been awesome. Uh, Pass the baton soon? Y- yeah. So next summer is probably when I'll, I'll phase out where we got a replacement for me. Um, you know, I, the big the big thing uh, for me uh, so far was being involved in the PACT Act and working on that. Yeah, it was um, huge. And, you know, God, for a guy that barely passed high school, um, there was on academic probation coming out of 
uh, tech school before I went back to MSU, graduated with honors there. But, um, you know, to be in the White House uh, talking with the president uh, when he signs a piece, you know, the largest piece of uh, benefit expansion, you know, almost, I think, in U.S. history. It's either that or the Agent Orange Act. I can't remember which one tops it. Uh, but just to be there, I mean, just and and I'm not don't get me wrong. I I played a, a small part in it. Not a, a I'm not the the you know straw that stirs the drink. Uh, but to be involved with it uh, and to, to say I had some part in it and and to at least be noticed enough to be invited out there when it was being signed and to be in the White House um, was awesome. And so uh, now I got involved in some other uh, volunteering uh, service stuff we, uh, here too. We call that Mike from the outhouse to the White House. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, somebody's called it a swamp. Before. It's a heck of a jump. That's uh, for sure. But so going from there, I mean, uh, I, I got myself elected to the city council uh, to uh, coaching my kids' uh, football team. I'm still on a foundation board for uh, DAV for the state of Minnesota. I just came off the secretary of the VA's Rural Health Advisory Committee, where we'd go around and uh, give recommendations to the secretary on. You know, facilities. people will help you, Mike. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to do it all on your own. Uh, uh, it's uh, impressive, though. Really, I mean that. Uh, uh, I see the kind of dad that you are. I see the kind of husband that you are. Uh, I see the kind of community member you are. You serve on the city council. Uh, getting elected to the city council doesn't take uh, putting up a Facebook post. It takes getting out there on the streets and. Going talking to people in your community and talking about the issues and you work a full time job. Yeah. And you still have to take care of yourself. I mean, uh you went and did two deployments. Uh I know personally it takes me time too to work on myself and keep myself straight, you know, with everything in my head and there's a lot of stuff going on, you know, and it's uh it's impressive to watch you juggle all these things in your life and uh to handle them the way that you do and to uh Make it look as easy as you do sometimes, you know, and, uh, well, and don't forget also that, uh, this podcast was, 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 was your, your brainchild also, Mike. So another way to reach out. What, uh, what what does it for you, Mike? What's your why every morning? Why do you do all these things? You know, the, the, the first and foremost is my family. You know, don't like being home or what? No, I mean, to, to show that example, I mean, we've talked about it before. You yeah. know, I grew up in a household, not just my father, but my mom uh, volunteering with uh, the community, the church, faith, um, with, uh, you know, sporting leagues, uh, her own women's, uh, you know, intramural stuff too. And um, her local friends and communities and groups too has always been strong in that presence and volunteerism and caring about others besides yourself. Yeah. Um. You know, my, my family, to see that example of, you know, it's not just about you. Uh, we live in the greatest country in the world still. You know, we got our we got our, our necks, we got our bruises and our black eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're still, when you look at anywhere else in the world, we're still fortunate to uh, be where we are. And the only way that maintains is if people still step up outside their own little AO of their house and their own little world. Um, and then second, it's a, a big one, you know, for Mark, Ben, uh, Chris and, and Brandon, um, yeah. I, I mean, we all have, uh, bonus years that they don't get. Um, and so to try to live a life that's worthy of their sacrifice and to worthy of their, uh, you know, the, the tomorrows that they gave up, uh, that day, those days. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I definitely relate to that. And I think I even said it in my podcast, whenever I start feeling down or 
start feeling like why me or start feeling like I don't really feel like doing this today or whatever it may be. I think about the guys that drug me off the battlefield that day and mm -hmm. what a slap in the face it would be to them, you know? Yep. So, I mean, just that and trying to find ways to serve. So that's what, you know, gravitated me towards the, the council and all the rest of the stuff too, to try to do some broader outside the veterans world, because when we swore that oath, it wasn't just for the guys we served with in the military. It was for this whole country, regardless if you agree with me or I agree with you. Right. Um, I fought for everyone. Yes. hundred percent. So yeah, man. Yeah, impressive. It is. It is. It's uh, not only impressive, but honorable, I think is uh, probably the word. Yeah. Yeah. You got your questions. Jay? Yeah. So uh, before we wrap it up here today, Mike, what, if anything, would you tell your younger self if you could go back? Probably take more pictures. <laughs> oh, true yeah. that, yeah. yeah. For real, right? Yeah. For real. Um, yeah. You know, that's the only reason I have any pictures is because my dad sent me uh, disposable cameras, and we didn't have – there was, the, like, primitive digital camera stuff uh, back then, but there wasn't, you know, like it's readily available now. Right. Um, take more pictures. Um, try and – um, I wish I would have wrote more stuff down. Yeah, write more stuff down because even the stuff now, you know, and everything I'm saying isn't isn't gospel. It's not biblical. It's just from my memory. There's probably some stuff that's off that other guys will disagree with, or that you know I'll yeah. go back and listen to that. It's all about perspective. Think a little bit different, but that's writing more down so I would have had a clearer uh, picture, or or probably writing it down sooner after I came home. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I haven't done it yet, uh, or I don't know if I ever will. But, you know, within that first year, while it was still fresh in the, the brain, I'll write it down. I just wish I would have wrote a note every day where I was, at least. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been cool. So, from where you started to where you are today, um, you know, the last question I always like to ask, if you could do it all over again, would you? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't not serve. Um, even the, the bad days are days that give me perspective, that help me take things in, in that lens of, overcoming whatever it is that's in front of me and then uh, finding the strength at times when it is my bad day uh, to keep moving because we're all human. We all have our off days, um, but it takes uh, looking that man in the mirror or, or thinking internally to move. And so those are the memories I go back to I made it through that and those sacrifices that those other guys made. I mean, this is just nothing. Not too bad. Yep. <laughs> Not yep. too bad. Waking up in America. <laughs> right. Right. And, uh, and part of the reason waking up in America is so good is because of, the service and the dedication from guys like you. So, yeah. uh, so thank you. And thanks for sharing today, Mike. Great, uh, great yeah. story. For thanks, sure. Mike. All the way around. Uh, don't forget, you can uh, not only hear the podcast on the air at KTWE, but you can also download the podcast from wherever you get your podcasts. We even have downloads from Bulgaria, I just learned. So uh, continue to do that. And thank you for joining us for another episode of Strength from Service. This is the Strength from Service podcast.